episode 234 with a very refreshed. Yes. Refreshed looking hotshot Scott. You can't believe I actually showered before I came here because <laughs> I've been alone for about 24 hours. So explain, the odds were not good. Explain. It sounds heavenly. Explain. Oh, forget it. I mean, my wife, uh, she flew down to Arizona on Saturday to be with her dad. So I, right. I dropped her she's off. She's a teacher. So she's got the whole week off. Oh, next week. Spring break in it. Yes. Oh, with with yeah. pops. Okay. Sitting by the pool. Okay. So I dropped her off Saturday morning. Yeah. And Piper had already left the Friday before with a family. The Friday before. Not the Friday, the day before, yeah. <laughs> okay, the On day Friday, before. yeah. With another family to go to. Uh, they're in the Bay Area. Which mm. leaves you. Oh, yes. In yes. peace mm. and quiet. Yep. At home for how many days? Five. With the dog? Yeah, me and the dog, who doesn't really care for me anyway, so I don't need to, like, <laughs> give it a bunch of attention oh. or anything. It's delightful. Oh. I mean, forget it. I, I, I pirated Oh, that I, sounds like... <laughs> Oh, my God. That sounds like cloud nine, for God's sake. You're lucky I remembered pants. I mean, honestly, it's been like 24 hours of just oh. scumbag material. I'll run around and clean up real quick before are she gets eating, home. Are you eating at home? Or are you my, sleeping uh, as late as you want? Or you got to get up with the dog, I'm imagining. Well, for the work week, I'll have to get yeah. up with the dog, unfortunately. Oh. Even Saturday, I went out. What did I? Oh, I got teriyaki, double meat. Oh, oh forget it. I mean, You sat. You had to have oh, to do Pirated uh, Disney Plus from a friend of mine. Oh, <laughs> you're gaffing it. Watch <laughs> yes, <laughs> watching Andor, watching all kinds of shows, just delightful. Peaceful, nobody bothering oh, you. God. Go to bed when you want. So what if I had too many beers? Who cares? <laughs> oh, Who's judging? Oh, no one but the dog. You still fit us in, <laughs> You still fit episode two thirty four in? And I was late. <laughs> I was five minutes late. Yeah, if you why were you late? <laughs> when you do nothing, time flies. I'm telling oh, you, God. it's the best. Episode two hundred and thirty four. Episode two three four. Yes. Youngstown, Ohio. Hello. Two three four is not yes, Youngstown, Ohio. It is really. Do you know Youngstown, Ohio? The one you've been saying this whole time. Youngstown, Ohio. Hello. No, I haven't. You always say Youngstown, Ohio. No, I don't. I feel like you do when when you do your Larry King. Oh, maybe I, I do. I think you do actually. <laughs> Youngstown, Ohio. Hello. It's <laughs> the only time I've heard of that place is from Larry King. Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Oh, Remember him? Pretty good little boxer there. Yeah. I think, I think he was from Youngstown, Ohio. Okay. Area code two, three, four. Was he really good or was he more flash than good? Like, was he really a good boxer or did he just have the cool name? Or are you not the guy? To, I'm sorry, you're not no, Burt Sugar, but I'm no, just wondering. No, I'm better you're... than Burt Sugar. <laughs> yeah, you are. I could give you about 10 or 15 minutes. Could you really? Yes. <laughs> this is how pathetic oh, I am. It really is. This yeah. is why I need an empty house on Easter Sunday. Exactly why, This yes. is why I need to look for Easter eggs by myself <laughs> at my house right. on Easter Sunday. How do I put this? Ray Mancini. He was boom, boom, Mancini. He was like a middleweight mm -hmm. who was knocking everybody out. And everybody loved him because he was, shall I say, kind of the great white hope. Gotcha. Okay. In the middleweight division. Sure. He was going to be the next big thing. Okay. And he was one of a lot who went through a lot of the guys early and got to like 18 and 20, you know, you know, fighting tomato cans. Okay. And then. Every time he ran up against a real fighter, yeah. he got his ass kicked. <laughs> okay, that's what I was wondering. Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Was he involved? But nice enough guy. Oh, he was. Yes. Okay, well, now, I remember his father. His father was involved in his corner for a while. Lenny Mancini, I think his name was. I might be making all that up. But I, <laughs> I can picture a guy that I think was his father. Was he involved yeah. in a fight where a guy died? 
Or was that am I mixing him yeah, up with somebody? You're, you're thinking a Suku a Kim. Korean guy. Yeah, was that him? Was I that think my, he may have. Yeah, I think that might be him. Or is that Macho Camacho? I can't. No, it's not Macho Camacho. It okay. may have been Ray Man. I think it was. Wasn't now it? That yeah. You're very, very sports. Yeah, I used to watch This sports, is what happens yeah. when. When you have an empty home, you become <laughs> the sports knowledge comes flying into you're, me. Yeah, coach, so analyze the Sunday of the Masters for us. I mean, you oh, had nothing I mean, better to do than watch. Boy, Brooks kept no up. softball to go to. Oh, nothing. No carpools to take. No Green Lake back and forth. Oh, nothing. Come nothing. on, I know. tell me about Brooks Kepka. Tell oh. me about Phil Mickelson. Tell me about well, the, the, I mean, the, the champion. For Phil's age, considering John what he Rob. shot on that round, it was incredible. 65. Impressive guy right there, Phil Mickelson. That you was must, you must love fun. him. No, that was not fun to watch. <laughs> that part of it was not fun to watch. It's kind of, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but the fact that he's so involved with the live tour, right? Isn't he, Phil? Yeah. But then he's Very, just, very much so. But he's just allowed to go play PGA. It just seems like you got to kind of choose. The Masters is not PGA. Everybody's been asking that. I thought that. Oh, people, really? I thought this was kind of common knowledge. No. No, those live tour guys are not welcomed on the PGA tour. Okay. So but what the tour Ma is this, Fallender? This Masters. is not a tour. This is the Masters. This is Augusta National. They do what the hell they please. Is that right? Okay. Right. <laughs> and the U.S. Open is the USGA, not the PGA tour. And the... PGA Championship isn't the PGA Tour. It's the Why PGA it of America. <laughs> okay. Okay. Jesus. And the British Open is yeah. the Royal and Ancient Club. They all oh. make their own decisions. Okay. And the decisions, at least for now, are that, that live golfers are going to be welcomed at the majors. Okay. They're not welcomed on a week-to-week -week basis on the PGA Tour. You can't go to, like, the Shell Open. No. Is that even a tournament? Yes. Oh, Houston. Still, okay. Well, it used to be. Oh, it used to be. It used okay. to be in Houston. So the Sony. Right. You're not welcome there. Gotcha. And it was very awkward in Augusta. There was the Champions Dinner. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. The Live Tour guys and the PGA Tour guys have not really gotten along. There's lawsuits. Oh. They don't like one another. Uh, ugly. Mickelson went to the Champions Dinner, from what I'm told, and sat by himself and didn't say a word to anybody the entire night. Really? Gave everybody the silence treatment or were they giving him the silent treatment which way or was uh, maybe it a little ways? of both okay yeah <laughs> but apparently he's normally wow. very chatty Gregarious, telling jokes right? and telling yeah. stories he was at the end of the table and didn't say a word to anybody the entire night it was very awkward a lot of live golfers in there Patrick Reed is in there. Bubba Watson's in there. Just no trouble showing up with their chest out look at me I'm no, richer than you just, just just real it's weird Dustin Johnson in there yeah uh, weird weird and yeah. then to top it all off, we almost had a live golfer win the damn thing. Two of the top three guys were live golfers, That's which would have been ugly, would not have been good. Not Brooks Kepka, live golfer. Phil Mickelson, of course, the poster, the poster child of live golf. You could have had about 30 people killed by a tree, too. So it could have been worse at the yeah, Masters. Okay. All right. Could have been worse, yeah, of course. Leave it to I you. I wonder what happened to the most pristine course in the history of golf. And trees are just falling over. What's going on there? Yeah, you know. Jeez Louise. Weather. Put a little money into that place. Would you Come secure on. your trees? <laughs> secure your trees. Let's go. A uh, little rebar. A little re Episode 234, Hot Shots Scott, available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe and rate us, please, on Apple. We could use some more yeah. new reviews, five-star ratings, please. Bonus shows every week. Our new summer-spring lineup is, uh, is ready. We started it last week. It's very exciting. We've got two new note tables. You've got the Kraken note table yeah. as we chronicle their path to the playoffs and through the playoffs, hopefully. We've got the Mariners note table. We're going to have Play Better Golf with Rick Fair. We've got... Slickhawk and Danny O'Neill become a patron five dollars a month yep. and we did a flash sale last night Saturday night yeah I was trying we're gonna to do... make sense of your tweets you have to help not me not gonna out make this. sense of anything 
You're not going to be able to <laughs> really? make sense. Anything. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you, your mind is out. Yeah, that's true. You've turned your mind off with yeah. everybody out of the house. That's true. You're not going to be. Good yeah, point. we did. We tried a flash deal and it actually worked pretty well. It did. Okay. So we'll do another one. Yeah. What, what, what didn't you understand? I feel like you cut it off pretty quickly. Like 10 well, minutes I, or something. Right? One hour. Oh, it wasn't. How hour? long are flash sales? I don't even know what a flash sale is. I don't know either. I know what a flash dance is. Oh, the best. But yeah, I don't know sure. what a flash sale is. I thought you said something like um, it was 10 minutes and then you had to stop it or there was some, no, no, some no, weirdness. No, 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 no. Oh, so it went well is what you're saying. It went for an hour. Oh, good. And then with 10 minutes to go, I said, there's oh. going to be a hard deadline 10 minutes from gotcha. now. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And it went very well. Got I got a lot more reaction than I thought I would on a Saturday night. So I'll, good. I'll do that again. I like it. The first three months free in our flash sale. To become a patron, go to MitchUnfiltered.com. If five bucks is a problem, it's $5 a month. Mm -hmm. You're going to get a lot of content. A lot of weekly stuff uh, during the baseball season, and it'll be available to you at $5 a month. MitchUnfiltered.com. If it is a problem, truly a problem, $5 a month, then just write me, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, and I'll take care of you, okay? But you won't give everybody the four hours of their life back they spent watching that cockamamie Mariner game on Sunday, will you? That you can't do. Four hours I got to sit there. I have a house to myself, and this is what I got to do. I was just trying to forget it. For a loss? Is what Can I there do? be a more excruciating way to oh. lose? Can we just save that for segment one? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Because okay. then otherwise segment one is just going to be dead air. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Best ratings we ever had. Franklin from Fife, Washington. Hot shot, right? I like alliteration. Oh, very good. Thank you so much. Franklin from Fife, Washington, writes, Mitch, you and your golf. <laughs> yeah. You were stubborn on the radio and remain so on your podcast. No one cares about golf. It's not a sport. It's a game. And please don't tell me that I can fast forward through it on your podcast. I'm fully aware. I like most of your topics. Signed, Franklin. See, I'm closer to franklin but i i really think people do love golf out there there are some to say no one cares is a little dismissive I, I that's not my thing people do care right after franklin i got this email from paul oh no hi mitch i'm a patron since the beginning enjoy you and scott and all the rest on your team danny and slickhawks shows are fun and the no tables rule your content is worth more than five dollars a month but please don't raise the price <laughs> My one request more than a criticism is you don't seem to be doing as much golf talk on the podcast as you did on the morning show. Can't win. Is there a reason or strategy to that? Just wondering. I remember when you first came to Seattle. Yeah, I'm older than you. And you were the first that I remember to semi-regularly talk golf on the radio. I'd love to hear more and don't know why you're not doing it. I even remember when Fish and Fred Couples pulled one of the greatest pranks on you in history. Anyway, great stuff. Paul in Snoqualmie. Oh, Paul. Who apparently has the entire house to yeah, himself. Don't tell him I'm home alone. He's going to want to come over. I don't need that. All right. You and Paul. Stay away, Paul. You, you, uh, Why doesn't he talk more golf? See if you were Can I get Paul and Franklin on the show? Oh yeah. To discuss Franklin and Fife alliteration yep. and Paul and Snoqualmie on the show. Franklin saying I do too much golf. Paul wondering why I don't do golf anymore and have them discuss it. And then when they come up with a conclusion of what's actually accurate, yeah. please let me know. How about the golf no table? The golf fan no table with Paul and Franklin. Yes. And we'll decide. Yes, I'm uh, in. I honestly think you talk less on the podcast than you do on your radio so show. So why is Franklin complaining? You I, and I your don't golf, know. Mitch. I, I, I mean, I didn't listen to your Either show. Either I do or I don't. Well, I mean, I was... <laughs> 
Ah, you're busy. For a lot of the years, I was busy yes. during your show. Yes. So I mean, but I remember when I was your board up, I feel like you talked more on the radio show than you do on the podcast. Honestly, if you had, to, if I had to pick one, and maybe I'm wrong, that's just how it seems. Well, I I had more hours to fill on the radio yeah, show I so. than I do on the on the podcast. And your buddy Fish, who do you do the show with? Like golf, he liked talking about well, everybody it. everybody that I I worked with loved golf. Sam Meyer did too. Well, you had to, otherwise I didn't. I <laughs> that's true. Do you know about the Fish Fred Couples prank? You know, right? I'm pretty sure I do. Yeah, where it's like the worst interview ever or something Hook, like that. line, and sink. I've never fallen for a prank okay. completely as I did that prank. Yeah, I think I remember. You do. They, they set you up with the world's they worst totally interview. They totally set me up. And, and you, it, you so I, on my very first vacation, oh, I was no. doing the midday show. Okay. And my very first vacation, <laughs> my producer says, I lined up Fred Couples. And I was like, I'm going on break. Right. And oh, I'm sure that producer got fucking screamed at more than I, anyone's ever been screamed at. And I at. said to him, "You got, can you can you can you hold him off until I come back from my vacation?" So no, you, no, no, you no, said no. It just like that. So I said, <laughs> "Go on, <laughs> fish, don't blow the interview, please. Yeah, whatever yeah, you do, don't you blow worried. the interview." No, nah, I wasn't that worried. I didn't care. Whatever. Okay. So I went on vacation. And I came back, mm -hmm. and we were on the air. And I said, "I think I went to Florida." I came back. We were on the on the air, and Fish says to me something like. I asked him on the air, how'd the, how'd the Fred Couples interview go? <laughs> and he was like, uh, can we talk about something else? Oh, so he's like, he's living the character. I'm like, he's tall in. I'm like, what? This is all on the air. Wow. He's like, it didn't have the greatest end. Let's just put it that way. Can we just move on to something else? And I start getting upset. Like, yeah. Fred will never come on our show or our radio station again if you mess the, the interview up. And he knows you're not just going to let it go. He knows it. He's setting it up perfectly. Yeah. He, I mean, just the, he, he just knows the bait. That, he yeah. knows you're not going to go. Okay, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> <laughs> There's no scenario where that happens, right? <laughs> sure. Well, why don't we have lunch? We'll talk about it at lunch. Yeah, yeah. That's not happening. No. no. You need to know what the hell happened. What the hell happened? Yeah. And so he says something like, "I may have asked a question that I'd like to have back," and Fred oh. may or may not have gotten a little angry with with me. <laughs> And I say to myself, Fred Couples gets angry at nobody. Yeah. I mean, what, you, what do you got to do to piss Fred Couples off? Mm -hmm. So I don't know how it came to be that the producer jumped in, whoever, either it was you or somebody else, jumped in at the time and said, I have the audio if you want it. So the producer was in on it. Everybody was Everyone, in on okay. it. Okay. There was one guy that wasn't right. on it. The producer said on the show, I mean, we have the audio if you want to hear it. I said, do I want to hear it? And Fish is like, let's just go on oh. to the next topic. And I was not letting that. Setting you up. I love it. And so they played the, the audio. And the audio was Fish asking at Augusta if they use rubber mats. <laughs> Big time questions. <laughs> Talking about, stuff. He asked if they remove the rubber mats at Augusta when, the, when they have the tournament. Oh. Or do they still use the rubber mats? And, and Fred, like, on the, on the recording says, like, are you kidding me? You're really asking me that question? Is that a serious question? Yeah, so Fred's like acting. He's like in his character the perfectly. Whole thing, and he hangs up the phone. I'm done. Oh, I'm done with no. this and he hangs up the phone. <laughs> and I'm hats. sitting there on the air yeah. like fuming. I can't believe Fish would ask this question. I yeah. can't believe he pissed Fred Couples off. <laughs> I can't believe the whole thing happened. And then at my angriest moment, uh-huh. They said, we have something else we want to play. And they played it. And it was Fish on the air saying, okay, Fred, here's what we're going to do. 
Ah, nice. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you about rubber mats at Augusta. Yeah, and Trent's yeah. like laughing. I want you to get mad and hang up the phone. <laughs> That's awesome. That is so brilliant. Oh. I could just see you fuming. Oh. And then, like when they were playing it back, did it, did it hit you right away that you'd been had? Or oh, yeah. well, at some point it did. Yeah. As soon as you heard, heard I don't know that I could see through the red that I was. Well, that's what I was wondering. Like I was, I was, I was <laughs> in Sherman. another place. Yes, I was in an absolute another world. Yeah, at that moment. so pissed off. Oh, that's oh, my hilarious. God. Who knew fish was funny from time to time? <laughs> God, good for him. Well, I got him back. We don't have to go go through how I got him back. A couple of years later, I got him. You back. did get him back. Yes. Oh, I got him back. Yeah, you did. Oh, I got him back. You did. Yeah. <laughs> I got him back. And I remember after I settled down and I was had, I think I said to fish, "I don't know when it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know what it's going to be." But I will get even. Yeah. And he he was laughing. He sure. thought this was the funniest thing. I said, I'm going to get even. And I don't think I did for years. I think it was years and years. In fact, it was in another studio. We moved. It was that long since the yeah. first incident. The first incident happened at 190 Queen Anne oh, yeah. when we first came on the air in the midday. Yeah. I don't think it was morning show. Maybe it was morning. I don't know. Maybe it was mornings. I don't remember. But then we went to the new studio in like 2000, I, right? That's when I got him. Yeah, back. like four or five years later. Well, then we went to another one after that, a third one after that. And it happened in the third one? Second one. Oh, second one. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I got him. <laughs> yeah. Mitchie Mitch, got him. You did. I got him. Yeah, I did. waited a few years, but I got him. It's almost worth the wait, though. Yeah. Let's start episode 234 with an incredible stat. Okay. That you have no idea about. I'm not even sure you realize anything about the sport that this team plays. Baseball. Do you, you follow baseball at all? I've heard of it. Yeah. Is there any team in Major League Baseball that you know of that's red hot right now, like the hottest team in baseball? Or is you have no idea? I can't you, think of one. Like, yeah. You can't think of one that's red that's hot. That's red hot, yeah. Well, there is one that's red hot. Okay. Hot shot, Scott. I give to you the Tampa Bay Rays. You have no idea as you're sitting here about the Tampa Bay Rays. No clue. Yeah. The Tampa Bay Rays have played nine games. Okay. They've won all nine. They're nine and oh. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, here are the scores of the games. Are you ready? Yeah. 4-0, Saturday and Jeez. Sunday, both 11-0. For a grand total of 75-18. to 18. Not a lot of sweating it out for those guys like Mariner I'm fans. I'm glad that you pointed that out because Thank that's you. the number I'm about to give you. Okay. Other teams have gone 9-0 to start a season. But what I just read to you was they have not played a game where they've won by less than four runs. Unreal. Four runs is the lowest amount of margin of victory oh. in their first nine games. They have won every single game by at least four runs <laughs> to start the season. There's not even been a save situation in the ninth, which means it's the longest winning streak by four or more runs to start a season since the 1884 St. <laughs> Louis Maroons. Wow. That was a hell of a team, though. I mean, you can't compete with that team. Boy, they were good. <laughs> the Maroons. The St. Louis Maroons. <laughs> what a Maroon. In 1884, were the last team was the last team to win the first nine games of a season by more than four, four or more runs. That's unbelievable. I thought, I, I mean, I, when I read that, I had to read it again yeah. and again and again just to make sure it was right. And then I was like, you know what? I got I to gotta put that in the, I got to put that in the, in the T segment or something. Since, since 1884, there have been yeah. some pretty good baseball teams. 
Yes, Since 1880, yeah. right? There, there couple a couple of Yankee teams. Couple, yeah, yeah. Couple of good Yankee teams. Uh-huh. Yeah, and none of them were able to do that. The Tampa Bay That's Rays unreal. of 2023 have now won nine games in a row to start the season by at least four <laughs> runs, and they won the last two 11 nothing. Uh, the most yeah. most relaxed fan base in all of sports, just sitting back. Well, we'll win again. I, I don't know if they even have a fan base. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> I think the average crowd in these games is like 6,412. Episode 234. Guests on this episode 234. Brady Anderson is back. ESPN.com. We are now inside of three weeks until the NFL draft. What are they going to do with the number five overall pick? Are they going to draft somebody? Are they going to trade the pick? Are they going to trade up? Are they going to trade down? What are they going to do with number five? And Brady seems to know. No, he doesn't know. <laughs> what no. does Mitch think? I mean, I'm sure you guys discuss it, but I think where it, do you put your it's money? It's entirely based upon what the Cardinals do at number three. Okay. If the Cardinals stay at number three, I fully expect the Seahawks to trade down. Hmm. If the Cardinals trade number three and go down to number four, I fully expect the Seahawks to trade down. Okay. If the Cardinals trade the pick to a team under the Seahawks six or later and then therefore remove themselves from the top five picks, mm-hmm. I believe that the Seahawks will then draft a player at number five. Okay. Did I just make any kind of sense? Yeah, you did. That's what I think is going to happen. It's all dependent on what the Cardinals are going to do. So all we'll depends see. upon what the Cardinals are going to do okay. with their third overall pick, which I also believe that when push comes to shove, even when they're on the clock, if they haven't done it between now and then, when they're on the clock mm-hmm. – at number three, I think they'll trade it. I'm not convinced that they're going to trade it to somebody behind the Seahawks. I think they may trade it with number four, the Indianapolis Colts. Okay. They may fake like they're going to draft the guy that the Colts want, and they're going to say to them, okay, if you want this guy, we'll draft, we'll swap places three to four, and you give us something good yeah. to go up one spot. That's what I think is going to happen, huh. or I think might happen. And if that happens... That doesn't help the Seahawks out at all. Right. Because then the Cardinals draft the guy that I think the Seahawks want to draft at number four. We got to get the Cardinals out of there. Right. <laughs> Remove from the situation. The Cardinals are going to screw something up for us again? They're going to screw something up. Oh, my yeah. God. Get them now, out of Now, our many lives. people think it doesn't matter what the Cardinals are going to do, that John Schneider is going to trade down regardless. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, we'll ask Brady Henderson what he thinks they're going to do and the state of the Seahawks front seven. Where are we? On the front seven, the weakness of the football team. We never discussed Bobby Wagner on this show either. We haven't? No, people were not happy. How could you guys forget about Bobby Wagner last week? Well, I've talked about Bobby Wagner on like every show that we've done. Yes, I'm just Bobby Wagner. I don't remember which shows I've talked about what. I mean, I I don't feel like it's the biggest deal in the world. Well, let's talk about Bobby Wagner. Talk about him. Next segment. I'll be all ready. Don't don't you worry. I'll be ready to go. (laughs) Guest Brady Henderson, Rick Fair, former PGA Tour winner. And at one time in 1984, he was the low amateur at the Masters. So he was in the Butler cabin next to Ben Crenshaw, Mm. when Seve Ballesteros put the green jacket on Ben Crenshaw, the low amateur always is there. He was there. Seattle's own Rick Fair was there, got the silver cup, and uh, pretty much ignored all the questions that he was asked. (laughs) Ben Crenshaw, dynamite player at Texas, right? Wow. (laughs) I like just throwing random things out. He had a hell of a team in Texas when he was there. Him and uh, 
And there was someone else. I can't remember, but <laughs> uh, they had a great team. Great team. Texas always had good golf teams yeah, back then. Oh, yeah, sure. Tom Kite played at the University of Texas. I don't know that he was on the Ben. Maybe he was on the Ben Crenshaw team. There was another one with Ben Crenshaw. That's I'm sure there was. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember right now. But And then the uh, the Kraken No Table yeah. from, uh, from the patron shows. I'm going to give you a little taste of what we're going to do now to chronicle the, the, the Kraken's road to the playoffs and then playoff first ever playoff experience. We did a Kraken note table to honor the, the playoff clinching Seattle Kraken yes. in its second year of existence. I'm going to give you a listen to what I want you to subscribe to. Nice. If that makes any kind of sense. Yep. Hot shot before we officially begin episode 234. Some words about our partners like Zeke's Pizza. Locations popping up all over the place. The first spot outside of Washington State is in Eagle, Idaho. But ordering via the Zeke's Pizza app has never been easier. A complete overhaul. Download and try it. Homegrown in the Northwest. John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions. Whether it's a brand new fireplace inside or out on your deck like we did with Fireside Home Solutions or garage doors. Begin your search right there at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. The Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. It seems like every day we hear about high interest rates and difficulty getting loans. Jordan Flowers' team, very aggressive and creative, can get you packages better than most. If you're buying a home, a second home, an investment piece, 425-890-2957. That's Jordan's personal number. 425-890-2957. He'll help you with financing. Daniel's Broiler and the world-class steakhouse bracket. CEO Lindsey Schwartz identifies his top seeds. The appetizer region, the steak region, seafood and dessert regions. Four locations, all opened and ready to host your special occasion. You gotta love Daniel's Broiler world-class steakhouses, an evergreen golf call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof, evergreengk.com, more than just a financial advisor, evergreen is everything wealth. Episode 234 begins officially right now. Unfiltered. Put them both on the bulletin board, like a, like Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. Put yeah. them both on both the Both with band. hands in front of their face. Both with <laughs> hands in front of their face. And I'll bet you they would get the best rating of a women's basketball game maybe ever. Unfiltered. We need somebody to pitch the seventh, eighth, and ninth that's reliable. Right. And as much as I love Matt Brash, my God, I just, you know, I, I hold my breath when he, I mean, he's so explosive, but yes. you just don't know, I don't know where the ball I don't know where anything's going Mitch is unfiltered episode 234 is now officially underway Akron Ohio hello before we get to Bobby Wagner and I'm, yeah. I'm gonna do a 45 minutes on him don't you really I'm just oh. gonna sit back and listen to Bobby You're gonna love it. yeah have you been to the Painfield Airport I gotta tell you it's the greatest thing in the history of airports have really you, have you been to Everett's Painfield Airport I have been to Painfield. Now, I, I know I'm late to this party I've had millions of people tell me about how great it is yes I don't know. Is it great? It's as great as everyone says. There's nobody there. They, they, they got more agents. In. Nobody knows. They got four kiosks. It's a secret. Why are you telling That's people? It's more than SeaTac and four <laughs> kiosks. It's awesome. I mean, there's Why no were you there. at Painfield Airport? Well, that's where my wife flew out of. You know, she likes to buy oh. plane tickets like five days before you have to go. So, you know, we were kind of up against it. But I was like, yeah, really? sure. Let's try it. Let's try it. 
It's the greatest thing ever. There's nobody yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. SeaTac's a nightmare. It's like sometimes. flying private a little bit. It does feel that way. Yeah. You just walk up, a lady waiting, waiting to greet you, a guy waiting I didn't to greet even, you. I'm not even oh. sure that I knew that Alaska Airlines flies out of Painfield. I think they might be the only one. I don't hold me to that, but yeah. I, I think that might be it, Alaska. But in the parking lots, like literally across. Can the, you get a cheaper flight out of Painfield or no? I can't speak to that. I just I'm worried about like security and lines and all that. Well, you didn't have it's to do awesome. that wherever they went. That was her problem. Yeah, but you weren't I, on the flight. No, but I have to park and walk her in. It's a you whole, do? Yeah, I can't. You just, don't just drop her off? Do you think I want to just drop her off? Of course I do. But then on the <laughs> on the way there, I you get... You don't even have to stop. Just have her open the door. <laughs> shoulder roll out the door. <laughs> but on the way there, I'm like, so I'm not sure where to drop you. So, you're not coming in with me? Oh, really? I guess I'm coming you in You do the you. whole going in? I don't want to, but I have to. You really? But luckily, I'm saying at Payne you Field... You can't go very far. What can you really do by going in? Well, I can park. That's ridiculous. I can wait with her at the gate. Get her on the show. I got to talk. Make to her sure about she can this. find that you know her confirmation. Because I always do all that when we when we travel. I do everything. Hold on a second. She, she's not an incapable person, Scott. but she just makes her feel better. Yes. You check in online you at know. home the night before. She has to check a bag. You should never check a bag anymore. She should have enough. She should have a, a carry on that that fits a, atop the seat. Your wife only has a carry on when she goes for we a week. We don't. We don't. Che- we don't check bags anymore. I find it's that like hard a, to believe. What? Your wife we never checked check, a bag when she goes on vacation? Did you say never or now? We don't check bags anymore. She goes away for a week. She doesn't check a bag. She doesn't check a bag. It's bull crap. There's no possible way. <laughs> ask her. I will on the way on out of here. On way out, ask her. <laughs> There's no way. She doesn't check a bag. Okay, well, my wife so, checks a bag. So when we get out, there's nothing for me. If I were to go in, if she were to ask me to go in with her. Yeah. To park and go in with her. Yeah. She literally gets out of the car when she goes home to visit her parents and she walks right to the security line. Right. She doesn't have to check in. She's checked in. Right. She doesn't have a bag to check in. She goes right to the security line, a place where I can't even go because yeah. I'm not traveling. What's the sense of, of, of going in? Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. But <laughs> she has to check a bag, of course. So now we got to do that. We got to yeah. get to the kiosk. Got to find the confirmation number. We got to do And then she wants me to walk with her to security, which is like eight feet away from the kiosk <laughs> at Painfield. It's not very far at all. So I think, really? she, I think maybe she thought that it was going to be a long line for security and I could just hang. I don't know why she wants me to come in. I didn't want to come in. I, I really, this whole time, I'm like, I thought I was going to open the door, have a good trip, man. I don't we'll even think, I, and again, I'll say it again. I don't yeah. think you have to come to a full stop. No, I don't think you do either. I'm with you. Yeah. But anyway, awesome Painfield. airport. Uh, it's. It's almost, if it wasn't so far for us, I would say it's a pretty big game changer. It's not that far from here, though. Not from where you live, no. It's like 45 minutes. I don't know that I've ever gone online to buy a ticket and seen options at Payne Field. Maybe I'm not putting the right airports in the search. Probably not. You're probably just doing SeaTac, which is probably a lot closer than there, but no, it's. it's, Is she coming back to Payne Field or not? I don't think so. I don't think so. And when she comes back, do you need to park the car and go? go in and welcome her when she comes off the plane or do you just pull up to the curb and she gets into the car like most people it's a good question it's a really good question i haven't of course i ask nothing but good questions i haven't gone down that road yet whether or not i have to you've meet never, her at you've, the gate. she's never traveled by herself before it's been a while really and yeah i just think she's like a just gets lonely and she wants company and just feels bummed that i'm so, not coming and so you have to stand at the security I like do not to. enter here don't go past here and kind of wait. Do you go there with a video camera so that when she comes off? The- <laughs> yes, a video camera. <laughs> yes. What do you have to say to the camera? My dad always would say. 
What do you have to say to the camera? Do you have anything to say to the camera? The big uh, that camcorder. Did he have clothes on when he was filming this one or no? At the airport, he yes, did. Okay, but not all the time. <laughs> That's all I think about with you and your dad at camcorders. Don't bring that up anymore. I don't need the visual. Las Vegas. <laughs> the mirrors. Yes. The mirrors are a bad thing oh, for a guy naked God. with a camcorder. Technology is not a not a lot of us. Ask 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 his daughter-in-law. Yes. <laughs> not good. Going back to the question. Yeah. Do you is she are you going to have a conversation about this or is this just something you're going to have to decide on your own? Do I have to go put the car in parking like short term parking, get out of the car, go right. into the airport right. and stand next to the line where it says you can't go further right. than here and wait for her to come walking out and kind of give her a big hug like she's been overseas That's for right. like for like four four fighting months fighting in the war for yeah. nine months yeah right and, and, well, and then, and then I you get have to have a sign that says welcome home yeah Megan. oh sure yeah and then i gotta pay for parking which is awesome can't wait for that although i will say at painfield my 15 minutes inside there would cost me zero and i i think i'm falling in love with this place <laughs> slowly but surely i was like oh nothing let's go that's awesome so i don't know i'll text her yeah i'm coming from work so i think that's my out you know, I, Why I think, is that an out? Well, I think I get off at 7. She lands at 7.30. Like, I don't think I'm going to have time, actually, to do all that. Yeah. He says, trying to convince himself he doesn't have to park. Yep. That'll be my out. My hands are tied. There's nothing I can do. I'm running late. You know, I, I'm going to barely get you as it is, Megan. See, this is, this is a whole different world she's, than we live in here. She's, in yeah. the Levy family. You know what we do with the Levy family? We've got it all timed. When I'm coming back from Florida, when she's coming back from D.C., the timing is, is essential. Right. Where... She texts at a certain time, and I know when to leave the house so that I can leave and kind of get to arrivals. Yeah. We don't even, <laughs> most of the time, I, I tell her to go to departures instead of arrivals because there's less of a line of cars. Oh, that's slick. So I swing up to, I have her go up to, because there's no luggage. That is slick. There's no luggage there's to no get luggage, off a baggage yes. claim, even though you don't believe that she carries no luggage. All walk-on. So... Instead of going to the carousel to get the luggage coming around, sure, yeah. I have her go up to departures. Oh, that's slick. And I, How do they, no one will ever know who's getting in, who's getting out. They have no clue. And it's all time. The Levy's have it all time. <laughs> do you snap the whole way there, too? We yeah. snap. <laughs> that is every, genius. Every once in a blue moon, I will say, it's a, it's a personal loss. It's like a, it's like a Mariner's loss on this Sunday when you have a lead six different times in the game and you yeah. can't close out the game. It's kind of a loss, but... Every once in a while, I find myself in the cell phone waiting parking yeah, that's, lot. Yeah, that's rough. I do find myself there. Okay, so you don't always nail it, but for the most part, you're feeling pretty good well, about nailing I, it. Well, what happens is if I get there a little bit early, then the cops come by. They don't let you stand there. Yeah. Move the vehicle. <laughs> get it out of here. Move the vehicle. And either you keep doing the loop, the yeah, continuous loop, the loop sucks. until she taxis and gets off the plane, yeah. or you go into the... Uh, the cell phone. The loss. The yeah. lost zone. The cell phone. <laughs> That's the loss. The, 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 it's an L. The loser zone. <laughs> yes, it's a big L. It means that we haven't timed it. But the Levy's very rarely end up in that lot. And we never, never park. Ever. Yeah. There's never a, park. There shouldn't be a reason to. I, I agree with you. You, I, you know what? I think I'm going to put my foot down. I ain't parking. In fact, when you pick her up, just, again, just go like three miles an hour and see if she could jump in. <laughs> I'll roll the window down like the Dukes of Hazard. Just, you just hit the hit the trunk open, yeah, and then just glide by and see if she can <laughs> see how fast she is. You can get I the like thing it. in the. Uh, yeah, anyway. All right. On episode two hundred and thirty-four, we talked about the Masters. Do you want to talk about the Masters? Do you care? Did you watch any of it? I watched a lot of it. I, I found myself 
Again, it was anticlimactic. I know there's a lot of people that think that. It wasn't, again, for another year, like when Scotty Scheffler won last year, he was able to miss like a three-foot putt last year and still win. He had John Rahm coming up 18 with a four-shot lead. He yeah. hit the first drive dead left. It didn't matter. There was really no suspense to it on the final. I, read, I, I watched a ton of it, though, on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I didn't okay. watch as much on Sunday, and the weather was just terrible. It was. Oh, yeah. They had to stop them. Oh, I didn't Stop them on Friday. Come out on Saturday. Stop them on Saturday. Everybody was mad. It wasn't on TV. They stopped it before the TV came on. I mean, it, it was just a mess from a weather perspective. And it was, yeah, it was all right. I watched some of it Friday. I love the Masters, though. At Sushi. I watched some of you it did. Friday because yeah. it was on. No, yeah. That's why I was enjoying it. You know, yeah. a little golf. Yeah. And then on Sunday, I turned it on. And yeah. he had a four-stroke lead late. And it didn't seem like it was going to be any drama. So I didn't really dial in that hard to it. I, my heart did stop thinking for a second that maybe eight under posted by a certain left-handed yeah, 52-year-old live golfer might be good enough. I mean, I just, I, I, I stared at my television for like a minute or two minutes trying to figure out, <laughs> is there any possibility that everybody else is going to come down and he's going to be in the clubhouse for like two hours and win this thing? I mean, because that might be one of the worst five days of my life. Yeah, the amount of money he's making on live, and he sneaks in, wins the Masters, and heads and off to Qatar. He's, he's he's been a horseshit player for a year and a half. He hasn't been able to even do anything on the live tour. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he's like, <laughs> shoot sixty five on Sunday just to burn my ass and yeah. be on the first first page of the leaderboard. But thank God, cooler heads prevailed. Yeah. And I, I wasn't rooting for Brooks Kepka. I'm no Brooks Kepka fan anymore. He's another live golfer. Yeah. And so John Rahm, best player in the world, probably wins the match. That's what I was going to ask you. Is he yeah. number one best player in the world yeah, right now? Probably, yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah. It does feel like his name always pops up for the He's majors. Very He's good. very good. Yeah. Very, very, very good. Not a lot of weakness into his game. The guy who presented him the green jacket's pretty good too. Scotty Scheffler, he's mm. been pretty good. Yeah. But I think overall, I I, I kind of feel like John Rahm is the best that they've got going okay. right now. So he's your master's champion. We talked about it or we mentioned it. The Mariners on Sunday, oh my God, had a chance for a sweep. <sighs> they lead three to one going into the bottom of the ninth. They've got two outs in the bottom of the ninth. There's two guys on. And the guy, I think it's a two-strike pitch even. The guy lifts one to right field, pretty well hit. Yeah, well, I was surprised it stayed in. I honestly. thought it was going out. When, when it came off his bat with a center field camera, I thought, oh, that's gone. It's, it's out, a three-run yeah. shot, and that's it. But it was stayed in the ballpark, and Teoscar Hernandez goes back. Yeah, how'd that go? <laughs> and I watched it. Like, I kept on reviewing it, you know, kind of rewinding it and watching it, rewinding it and watching it. And I, he's got to make that catch. He's a professional baseball player. I don't think that that was that hard of. Do you think that it was that hard of a catch? I think it's a really good catch. It's a tough catch to make. But he's got to make I that. I think catch. it's catchable. He's though. in position yeah. to make that catch. I agree. Yep. And then he looks up, and the ball's kind of up over his head. Yeah. He said after the game that the wind blew it or something. Mm. I don't know. I don't know either. I feel like he didn't take a good route to that ball. He looked kind of contorted and twisted around. He didn't. He just didn't look like he had a. He was just had a real eye on it. Good and I don't want. Look, he's brand new. I'm not. I'm not bashing Teoscar Hernandez. Whatever. I hope he's going to hit 30 or 40 home runs for them. I'm glad they have him. I don't want this to be perceived as okay. Mitch has turned on Teoscar Hernandez like he turned on Phil Mickelson or somebody else. Okay, <laughs> that was no, a lot of no. years on the making. Yes. Phil Mickelson. Yeah, no, not really. <laughs> um, it felt to me the more I watched that play mm -hmm. that a good outfielder like a really good defensive outfielder, not only makes that catch, but it doesn't look that hard mm. when he makes it. He runs down, he runs back to the fence. 
He gets to the spot. He puts his hand up to make sure he doesn't go into the wall. And then he reaches up and makes a catch. And it looks a lot easier than Teoscar Hernandez made it look. Yeah. Would it have been a good play? Yeah. yeah. Was it was it routine? No. But I felt like he should have caught that ball. Yeah. I, I really did. I felt like he should have caught that ball. And then... They have a lead. How many different extra innings did they have the lead going into the bottom half of the extra inning? Unreal. Every single one, I think. So one one of the innings they led by one. One of the innings they led by two. Yeah. And the bullpen. The bullpen. It's funny. Everybody's been laughing. I'm doing this Mariners note table for patrons. Everybody's been laughing at me because I've been saying since the beginning, I'm worried about the Mariners. I think I said it to you. I'm worried yeah. about the Mariners bullpen. Now you've got Munoz on the shelf. He's now hurt. He's on the injured list. Festa was inactive and sent down. Mm -hmm. You had this whole thing on Sunday where three different relievers were given a one or two run lead going into the bottom half in Cleveland, and none of them could hold the lead, and they yep. end up losing the game. It was, it had sweep, the series had sweep written all over it. The Mariners were on the precipice of getting back to 500. We could restart the season, and off we go. When Kelnick made that two-out diving catch, it just felt like, okay, it's their day. They're going to steal this one. They're going to get out of here. How about when he doubled in a run in the extra inning? Didn't he double yep, in a run down did. the line, down the right field, in the right field, in the extra innings? Yep, he sure did. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I can't. I was sitting here trying to think, is there a worse way to lose a game than that? Yeah, brutal. Than to constantly have it in your pocket. I mean, how many times did they have the game won? And they just could not hold on. No I was good. wondering, do you think the center, no good. the center fielder could have maybe got to that ball if he would have... Julio? Yeah, it felt like which maybe one? The Teoscar, the Teoscar, Teoscar no, one? No, no, that no, that's no. too far. No, it was a right. It was a play for the right fielder. But it was just go the, back to the wall, put your hand up against the wall, yeah. look up and make the catch, and let's go home. Wasn't let's it, go to Chicago. Wasn't it right center? I mean, couldn't I just felt like if a Julio could have called him off and got there? Yeah, no, that play. Come on. Okay, I'm just wondering. I don't know. I felt like maybe you know that guy's got wheels. He's an incredible athlete. Maybe he could have no, tracked that down. But no, ugh, awful. Did you happen to see the first run that the the Indians had? The Guardians, I did not. I'm sorry, I'm not the Indians anymore. The no, they Guardians. are not. Did you see the first run that they got in the bottom half of the first after the after the Mariners took the two nothing lead with Cal Raleigh's home run in the top of the first? Did you see how they got the run? Tell the me. Bottom? Oh, oh, did he th turn around and throw it to second? The no, no, no. It was the AJ Pollock play in in left field on the opening batter of the game for Cleveland. I didn't see. I it. just I was just wondering if you saw tell that. me. Uh, it's not important. It just looked like me out there. <laughs> I mean, look really like, that good? Oh my god, <laughs> Pollock. A.J. Pollock yeah, was yeah. in left field. Jared Kelnick was in right field <laughs> okay. on Sunday. And the leadoff hitter, Quan, I think his name is, okay. for Cleveland, the Guardian, sorry. He hit a spinner, a spinner down the left field line. He's a left-handed batter. So he hit a spinner down the left field line. Pollock came over, and he looked 75 years old. <laughs> that he couldn't pick up the ball. Really? Yeah, the ball kind of spun away oh. from him, hit the side, oh, then no. got by and oh, went man. all the way back to the wall. And Quan, Quan was running and running. He was yeah, lucky yeah. it wasn't an inside-the-park home run. Yeah. Should have been a double, a double, an easy double, okay. and it ended up a triple, and they ended up scoring the run oh. on the sacrifice fly. I just wondered if you saw that. I thought you were going to bring up the pickoff no. move to second base. That was in extra innings. Because you know how let's, the pickoff move to second base. Let's throw the ball into the outfield. And because let, uh, yeah. that move works all the time in baseball, right? Never works. I mean, picking somebody off at second. You, you, Never you works. see it three or four times a game, don't Never you? Never works. 
What the hell? Why even throw that? It never that? works. It never works. It's the dumbest thing of all time. Do you really think you're going to get him? It's just like the quarterback trying to draw the defense off sides for the five-yard penalty never works. on fourth and one before you take the timeout and right. bring the penning team in. Stupid. It doesn't work. Right. It never works. It doesn't work. Right. It's ridiculous. That might work more than this. What? The pickoff at second. I, I don't know. Honestly, I can't remember ever seeing a guy picked off at second. Maybe Little <laughs> League baseball. Point. Like, why maybe, even maybe, try? Maybe high school baseball. It's yeah. so stupid. And is it weird so that the pitchers, the most accurate humans on earth with that ball, can't, can't throw, throw it to straight second to second or no. first for that matter? Yeah. Can't what feel the position that? either. No. It's no. so weird. Yeah. I mean, that was awful. And some catchers can't throw the ball back to the pitcher. That's they have a little right. bit of trouble throwing the ball back to the pitcher. Mackie Sasser? Matt. Was Look he one of them? God, the house is empty and you do your homework. That's right. You knew I was going to bring up Mackie Sasser. (laughs) Right. So you've got the Mariners. You got the Masters. You got the Kraken. Very exciting. Yeah. Are you going to pay close attention to the playoffs or are you not going to do it? No, I I think I am. I think I'm in. We're talking about going to a game. Probably won't go. It's very expensive. That's a bridge too far, I think. It's a really expensive ticket. Yeah. But playoff hockey is crazy. Even I know that being from Florida and not being going to – Playoff hockey is going to be great. We don't know they're playing yet. They've got three more games as we record this. Okay. We'll keep you we'll keep you abreast on the Kraken's note table, but three more games. Their playoff opponent is up in the air. Could be Edmonton, could be Colorado, could be Dallas, could be Minnesota. We'll see. Okay. But we know is the Kraken in their second year, the biggest turnaround from year one to year two in the history of the NHL. Crazy. They're going to the postseason. They're playing a best-of-seven series, and playoff hockey is crazy. Crazy. I, I followed the uh, the Canucks in 2010 when they went to the Stanley Cup or 2011. You did. Because Gas Man was really into it, and I was doing the show with him on a, a station called KJR. I've heard of it. And he was really into the Canucks. So we, like, drove to Canada for one of the games and all that. And it was fun. I enjoyed watching it. And playoff hockey is crazy. It was, it was a blast. So I am looking forward to this, yes. I don't know that I've ever been to a playoff game. Let me think about that. Hockey game. I don't think I have. Oh no, we, we just drove to Canada just to go to a bar. I know you. Of I know you never went in. There, there were you no tickets. I've heard that story before. Jesus, yeah. I'm trying to think if I've ever been to a playoff hockey game. I might have been one in Buffalo. Might have been to one in Buffalo. I might have been to one in Buffalo. Really? Yeah, when I was going to school in Syracuse. Oh right, right. Because my roommate at the time was a huge Boston Bruins fan. That was my Squish first the fish exposure. guy. Yeah, Is squish the fish. Mr. Squish the fish. Squish that's him. That's not talking. Oh about boy, that. okay. That's a another very, story about him. That's an emotional thing. <laughs> It's a very sensitive topic. I know squish it is. the fish. Yeah. Anyway, I became a Boston Bruins fan at that time. Okay. At least for a minute. Sure. And I learned what hockey was, and I watched playoff hockey with him. When they'd make the playoffs, they'd play the Montreal Canadiens in a best of seven. Yeah. And it was crazy. I mean, it's crazy. It's fun. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, at the very least, sitting down and watching every game on the TV. Nice. Cracking in the playoffs. Are, are we going to get to one? The Levy's going to gonna try to get to a game? or is that... I just said, I, I, we're, I think it's too expensive. Yeah, okay. Very expensive. It is. Yeah. If somebody gave you tickets, would you get out of the house? Oh. <laughs> All right. I'm just, just trying to gauge uh, where you, you are. Do you have any... Uh, oh, yeah. I, got, I got like a toilet roll full of tickets. You just I spin thought, off as many as you want. Are you giving me tickets? That's very nice. Yeah, of you. you betcha. Three interview <laughs> segments and then the other stuff segment on Mitch Unfiltered, episode 234. Hey, the CEO of Daniel's Broiler, Lindsay Schwartz, is back with us on Mitch Unfiltered. How's everything over there at Daniel's, Lindsay? And how'd the Bourbon Bash go? 11th annual Bourbon Bash. 
Hey, Mitch. Yeah, things are going great. That's right. It was the 11th annual Bourbon Bash, which is it's so much fun at Daniel's Bellevue. We bring in whiskeys from all over the world. Largest collection west of the Mississippi. We had a great crowd, great food, great bourbon. It's the biggest event that we do every year, and it's a lot of fun. That's nice. We reflect on another great event, the NCAA tournament, as we flip the calendar to April. Last time we gave out NFL awards to your menu items. I want to talk about seatings and regions. Four regions of the Daniels menu, all right? Appetizers, who would be the number one seed? What appetizer is the number one seed on the menu? I think we got to go with the teriyaki steak strips. That's been on the menu since day one. We are a steakhouse. Uh, you can't go wrong with that. I think that's everybody's favorite. God, gotta go, no, it's gotta not go everybody's favorite. My favorite is the bacon-wrapped scallops. Can I get a two-seat out of them or not? I think we could do that. I, <laughs> we could go with that for a two. I'm good with that. All right, we know what the steak number one seed is. It's the MVP. It's the filet mignon. Let's uh, move over to seafood. The number one seated seafood item on the Daniels menu. You know, we always have a really nice selection of seafood. We kind of rotate throughout the year seasonally with with what's fresh. But we always have salmon on the menu. And uh, right now we have king salmon. It's just killer. I think that's got to be the number one seed in the seafood region. And then comes the dessert region. Is this like the weakest region of the Daniels broiler menu or is it is it tough to see the desserts that are available? I think it's tough to see it. I think you have a lot of parody in that division. It's almost like <laughs> USC as as a 10 seed. Um, you know, you, you never know. It, it could, they could go a lot higher. So yeah, that's kind of what the dessert region reminds me of. But I'm going to go with with number one, the coconut fudge sundae. That's been a favorite for a long time. Okay. We line the bowl with fudge. We put coconut ice cream on top. It's so good. It's making me hungry just thinking about it right now. I think the Levy family would be pushing for the cookie and the skillet with the ice cream on top to be the number one seed. But we'll settle for a two seed for the cookie and the skillet. Don't touch the skillet. It's really, really hot. We love Daniel's broiler. Daniel's broiler during the NCAA tournament. Daniel's broiler during the football season. Doesn't matter the season. Great for special occasions. And Daniel's broiler is a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. The more I see Anthony Richardson mock to the Seahawks at number five, the, the more curious I am about his season and the skill set. And obviously he's a guy who has um, really risen. Uh, maybe not, you know, maybe NFL teams already knew this about him, but certainly in the eyes of the mock draft community, a guy who is, who is rising right now uh, with that strong combine. Episode 234, Mitch Unfiltered. Now a little more than two weeks until the NFL draft. Will the Seahawks stay at number five? That seems to be the question. We haven't caught up with Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider, since the start of free agency. Hopefully, you've come down enough from the euphoria of the hole-in-one in California, and you're able to concentrate for Mitch Unfiltered listeners this segment. Can we count on you? Oh, you can count on me, yeah. I've, I've come <laughs> down from the euphoria of that, but my blood you know, my blood pressure has since risen because I played Chambers Bay a couple days ago. Oh. I hit uh, 12 of 18 greens, <gasps> and I had finished with 39 putts, oh. so that gives you an idea of what kind of day I had. Go see Brad Faxon, will you? I know. For God's yep. sakes. Somebody. Let's, um, let's start with the Hawks' biggest issue coming out of the season. There's no question what it was, and that's front seven. 
and where they are now heading into the draft with very little cap dollars, and we'll come back to that. They've let guys go. Woods, Harris, Jefferson, Barton. I don't know about Puna Ford. Maybe you'll tell us. They've added Draymond Jones from the Broncos. Jaron Reed is back. Bobby Wagner and Devin Bush. It seems to me that without Jordan Brooks, I don't see where they're better, at least at this point, than they were at the end of last season. And they seem to have lost more bodies than they've actually acquired, which can never be a good thing. Where are they? I think they're better at linebacker in the sense that Bobby Wagner is an upgrade over Cody Barton, and you didn't have Jordan Brooks at the end of last season. So you, knowing that he was going to be out, I, I think they're better at inside linebacker. I still think that's a position they could add to in the draft, and they arguably should, considering that Wagner and Devin Bush are both on one-year deals. I think we all knew that that front seven and specifically that defensive line was going to look different than it did last year. I did not think that it was going to be this degree of an overhaul where basically anybody who played on that defensive line uh, last season is gone. Now I, uh, you mentioned Puna Ford. I do think that uh, they could still bring him back. That's the move that they want to make. They are up against it cap wise and cash wise too, which I think we should get into, but look Al Woods, he has been a good player for them, but you know, frankly, they moved on from him because he wore down at the end of last season and he's going to be 36. Uh, and there's just a lot of, of mileage on his body. And so, you know, Shelby Harris, I think he was a, a nice player for them, just not worth a $9 million cap hit that, uh, or excuse me, the $9 million that he was going to make this coming season. So Draymond Jones looks like he's got a chance to be a difference maker. That's a fascinating signing just because that blows the types of deals that they've done in free agency per year average like that blows anything they've ever yeah. done out of the water and so right. they've got a chance to be a lot better up front but they've still got a lot of work to do just because they got rid of there have been more subtractions than there have been additions yes. and there's still a lot more yes. work to do there brady you talk about bobby wagner and the upgrade he is no one will question that he was a second team all pro he was highly rated by pro football focus if you read into that did no. any other team <laughs> legitimately try to sign him? And if not, what does that say about where Wagner is? Well, you know, we didn't hear about what other kind of offers he had on the table. And, and maybe that's partly to do has something to do with the fact that, you know, he's his own agent. And, you know, typically agents might put that stuff out there just to let it be known that there's a lot of interest in their client. So I, I'm sure that there was plenty of other interest okay. uh, in Wagner outside of Seattle. But from the sounds of it, I, I don't think, you know, I, I think that he wanted to be in Seattle and I don't think that he wanted to go certainly anywhere that was far away. And you heard him say in a radio interview with Seattle Sports 7, 10 a.m. that if it was going to you know mean going somewhere far away from the West Coast where he's from and where he's lived his whole life, it had to be for a contender. So I think his options might have been narrowed in that regard. But he wanted to be in Seattle and they got it done on what I think is a, a very reasonable deal. You mentioned Harris. I want to come back to that. Maybe we shouldn't spend a lot of time on him. But what I recall when they made the Russell Wilson trade is that he was sold to us as a central part of that deal. He was going to be an impact figure on the front line of the Seahawks. Do I not remember that right? Wasn't he the biggest trade piece or was Noah Fant the biggest trade piece coming back? Well, I think they thought Drew Locke was going to be the biggest trade piece because oh, okay. they a lot of people in the building <laughs> thought that he was he was going to be their starter. I, 
I, I think it went Locke, Fant, and Harris. Okay. And yeah, right. and, and I Harris was not, you know, they wanted, I think, a defensive lineman. They actually wanted Draymond Jones. That was one of the names that they discussed. Oh. Denver was not willing to part with him. And instead they gave up Shelby Harris. And I wonder if part of that was the fact that, you know, they had to make the 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 salary, they had to make the numbers work contract wise. And so yeah. you know, they probably wanted to get rid of Shelby Harris's contract, knowing they were taking on Russell Wilson's big contract. And I think it made sense for Seattle, too, because that was a guy who was a veteran guy who had just been in a similar defense to the one that they were transitioning to. Uh, So he made some sense for Seattle. But, you know, he was 30 plus years old, making a lot of money. So I don't think it was necessarily viewed as, yeah, this guy's guaranteed to be there a very long time. Brady Henderson, ESPN.com. It feels to me all being said like their first pick whenever it is in the first round needs to be a front seven guy and maybe maybe both first round picks need to be front seven guys agree or disagree i agree yeah certainly the first one and for all the talk about maybe them drafting a quarterback i mean i I could see it uh it would not shock me if they did it at some point within the first couple of days of the draft, but I just don't know how you do that at number five, or like you said, wherever that first pick ends up being considering how badly you still need difference makers up front. I mean, just look at the numbers. Like they have f- four defensive linemen, you know, when you, when you figure that Brian Monet is probably going to miss the first half of the season, according to what John Schneider told reporters at the uh, owners meetings recently, he's probably not going to be there. Uh, for the first half of the season. Al Woods is gone. You don't have a nose tackle right now. You've got Draymond Jones and Jaron Reed, who are nice three technique. That's the other you know defensive tackle spot, guys who can play defensive end as well. But you know the cupboard is just really bare right now, and they are up against it, again, cash and cap-wise. And so I don't know. You know, this is this is your one chance to get another big time difference maker other mm-hmm. than Draymond Jones. And I just don't know how you pass that up, which leaves me stubborn. I'm just going to be stubborn. I'm not buying the quarterback hype. I think it's either going to be draft Will Anderson at five. If the Cardinals get out of there, get out of their way and somebody trades up with them or trade down and pick a front seven guy later in the first round and add picks. Yeah, and I think that would be a dream scenario for them. If Which one? Will the, Anderson? The, yeah, the first one. If, okay. if somebody traded up with Arizona to get a quarterback, and then you know that way you had all four of those picks ahead of Seattle at number five, all taking quarterbacks, and you get your pick of the best defensive player in the draft, I, I imagine they would go Will Anderson there as opposed to Jalen Carter, but um, that, that's certainly what I would do. Not that I'm an expert on this or anything, but yeah, I mean, that would be, a, and maybe that is part of the reason why they have, you know, been so public with their interest in the quarterbacks. I mean, certainly this is a team that does its due diligence and you would expect them picking at number five to do all the homework, to be at all those pro days, to bring some of those guys in for 30 visits, to really get to know them. But I wonder if that has been part of the, the motivation in broadcasting it to the degree that they have, taking selfies, mm-hmm. uh, being front and center at those mm-hmm. pro days, talking about it at the combine about, yeah, you know, we yeah. could pick a quarterback here. They don't I, grow I, on I, trees, you know, Brady. They don't grow right. on trees. Right. But I, but I wonder if part of the thinking is you're letting, you know, maybe Las Vegas know or you're letting other teams, uh, you know, outside the top five know that, hey, if you want to get a quarterback, you may have to jump ahead of us to get him. Yeah. Of course. You mentioned Jalen Carter. Where do you think they are on him? Any guess? 
And would they even take him at five? Some people would say they won't take him at all. Other people would say, no, they would take him, but it might not be a good play at five because you might be able to trade down to eight, nine, and still get him there. Do you have any sense of where they are as an organization on him? Not not a great feel based on any sort of inside information. Just my read based on what they've done and what I know about Jalen Carter. I mean, I, I think it's important to draw a distinction between sort of if you use the term off-field concerns as like a blanket term. Okay, well, some of those are maturity concerns. There's that. And then there's, you know, this guy has done something so bad that you just can't draft him because you don't want to endorse you don't want to stand for that and i don't think you know as unfortunate as the incident was with him involving you know the car crash where he was allegedly racing it killed a a georgia teammate and a georgia staffer as tragic as that incident was i think they would put that in a different bucket of off the field concerns than say a domestic violence uh, situation or or something you know some sort of violent related offense that they would say we just can't touch that how about the weight How about the pro day workout? How about you talk about maturity, gaining nine pounds from the combine to his pro day and the questions that surround him. And then, by the way, you couple that with, and this is something that a lot of people are not talking about that I think should be with regard to Carter. He didn't play a lot at Georgia. They were so good at defensive line that they rotated. He was out of the game as much as he was in the game. They kept him fresh. Now you bring him into the NFL and you expect him to play a little bit more. How about the nine pounds and the way he's treated himself? Yeah, and and the rotation thing, I think that's good context because that, to me, you could look at that the other way and say that you look at the production that he did have at Georgia, that was despite being a rotational guy. You know, you could maybe say that, okay, well, if he had six sacks, maybe he's he's an eight, nine sack guy Mm -hmm. uh, just because he's going to have an opportunity to play more. So that that doesn't concern me as much as that maybe that that maybe actually help his case as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Now, in terms of the other stuff that you mentioned, the you know the nine pounds being heavier, not being able to finish his drills at his pro day, yeah, that's that's not good, and that would add to my concern with him. Uh, but again, I don't think he's a guy who has done something so horrible that yeah. a team should take him off their draft board. Now, if it's me. And thank God for every Seahawks fan that it's not me making that decision because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. But I would not feel comfortable taking that risk at five. If you could trade back, and I know there's, you know, his agent is saying that there's no way he's fallen out of the top 10. Of course, an agent's going to say that. But let's just say for the sake of argument that he does, and you could get that guy in the teens. And meanwhile, you're trading back from five and picking up an extra what second round pick maybe sure. an extra first round pick that year sure. uh, next year to me that mitigates the risk and that makes it much more worthwhile risk because you're not just getting Jalen Carter you're not just taking on that risk but you're getting a lot of big time draft capital to mitigate that. are you better drafting or are you better putting uh depends on the day depends on the course depends on the draft 39 putts at Chambers Bay would uh, indicate that I'm not a very good putter and that's again that's not counting you know those putts you have four or five feet off the green that you might chip at other courses but you put them at Chambers Bay I probably used my putter 43 times there (laughs) awful let's check off some other boxes before I let you go safeties they let Ryan Neal walk they signed Julian Love They're insisting that Jamal Adams is still part of the plan. Brady Henderson's thought on the safety situation. If Jamal Adams can stay healthy, and I realize that's a big if when he's missed, I think, 
25 of a possible 50 regular season games in three years with Seattle. If he could stay healthy, then they've got the makings of a really good group. And that's part of the reason why they they rescinded the restricted free agent tender on Ryan Neal, just because they obviously thought Julian Love is a better player than Ryan Neal. And that's why they paid him $6 million per year and uh, put the you know $2.6 million RFA tender on Ryan Neal that they then rescinded because they are in such dire need of cash and cap space. And so I think the plan is you're going to see Julian Love play even if Jamal Adams is ready by the start of the season, which I think that's a big question mark and another reason why they signed him. But even when Adams is healthy, you're going to see Julian Love on the field in some three safety, maybe four safety situations. And that's going to bump Adams up to playing more of a linebacker role, which is the was the plan for him last year. If you go back, there wasn't really a whole lot of examples because unfortunately for them, he got hurt, I think, in the first half of the opener but if you actually go back and watch the play that he was hurt on against Denver he was basically playing linebacker there's mm-hmm. three safeties behind him mm-hmm. he and he was in a linebacker role that's going to be their plan Brady Evan Brown is he the starting center or is the opening day starter not on the roster just yet I think he's probably the guy just because he's the only one on the roster that we know about right now. But I'm I'm pretty confident that they are going to draft a center at some point. There's been so much turnover at that position. Okay, Uh, you need to find a long term solution there and you've got the draft capital to do it. I've been banging my fist on the wide receiver depth table for the last several months. Clearly, they're going to draft a guy at some point at wide receivers. No doubt about that. The question is. Will it be an early round projected starter or third receiver? Or is it going to be a late round project who you hope will pop his rookie season? I think it's going to be more of of a earlier in the draft. Now, I don't know if it's going to be first rounder. I know Ohio State's Jackson Smith and Jigba has gotten a lot of buzz for Seattle, sort of in that, you know, their second round, excuse me, their second first round pick uh, at number 20. They have not drafted a wide receiver that high under Pete Carroll and John Schneider for whatever that's worth. But I do think that that's a spot that they've got to add to within the first, I would say, two days of the draft. I just don't know if you can count on a you know, a fourth, fifth round pick to come in and, and be compete for that number three spot right away. And I know how much you love D. Eskridge and I know how much you believe in him. Uh, but I just don't think with the injury history that you can count on him. I think anything he gives you at this point is sort of a bonus. And you've yeah. got to get a guy who is legitimately going to compete for that number three spot. Better pick LJ Collier or D. Eskridge? Uh, I'll say D. I'll say D because I think he's... Come on. Oh God, I don't know. He's still he's still got time. I think we know we know what Collier is. D. Eskridge still has some time to do something. And finally, any free agency still yet to come? Where are they cap wise? I know they're strapped. I know they got some money back, two point six million on the Ryan Neal deal. Where are they and what should we expect of anything free agent wise? Yeah, they're they're pretty low on both cash and cap space, and I think there's it's an important conversation to have there because you know it's we'll start with the cap space. They've got I think somewhere in the neighborhood of six million dollars according to OverTheCap.com. Now that's not even enough to sign their projected draft class, let alone have all the money in reserves, the several millions of dollars that you're going to need for in-season expenses like practice squad, injury replacements, incentives yeah. that guys might have in their contracts. So. That's the cap space issue. There's also a cash issue. Now, that's maybe the bigger issue because if you just have a cap space issue, as we've seen, there's things teams can do about that. They can restructure contracts. Maybe you extend a guy uh, who's making some money and you lower his cap number that way. But 
when you're talking about a simple restructure of a contract, what you're doing is you're converting base salary money that a guy's going to make during the season in game checks. You're converting that to signing bonus money and you're spreading out the signing bonus for cap purposes over the life of the deal. That's how you free up the cap space. But you give that guy the signing bonus. That's upfront cash. Cash. Same with, you know, a lot of people have said, well, they should extend Yuchin and Iwosu to lower that cap number. And yeah, like in a vacuum, that's a move that would make a lot of sense. But any deal that Yuchin and Iwosu would get right now, it's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of what Draymond Jones got. You're talking about a 15, 20 million dollar signing bonus, which that's cash that you know that guy up front. So people are yelling. I can hear him. They're yelling. Wait a second. Why are we so worried about the Allen estate and cash? Come on. Come on, Brady. It's it's the Allens. It is. Yeah, but this is a real issue for teams. And I think a lot of there, there's this big misconception that these teams uh, just have endless amounts of cash that they are willing to spend. And that's usually not the case. I mean, remember, these are businesses. They're trying to make a profit and they are bound to cash budgets set forth by ownership. And you know, I went back and looked at all of the, the deals the Seahawks have re-signings or players that they've added in free agency. I think there's 11 of them since the end of last season. $71 million in signing bonus money that they have, that they have allocated. Is that a lot? That's a ton of money. I don't yeah. know. Now, I don't and, know. and even though some of that, you know, I think in some of the bigger deals like Geno Smith, maybe Draymond Jones, you know, with bigger signing bonuses, you can defer some of the payment. Mm-hmm. Like for cash purposes, you can defer some of that payment to later. But mm-hmm. even if they've spent $50, 60000000 million, that's a lot of cash. And then it becomes just a, a straight cash flow issue. Brady Henderson, ladies and gentlemen, you can read him on ESPN.com. You can read all about his putting woes at Chambers Bay. You can read about all the Seahawks coming and going. We'll find out about Puna Ford here. I I would imagine at some point the draft is coming. Brady Henderson is a must-follow on Twitter. Sounds good. How do we do? (laughs) We did good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll try again another time. Brady Henderson, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Brady. All right, thanks, Mitchie. See Uh, you. Time for another visit with Zeke's Pizza president, Dan Black. How are we doing, Dan? I'm doing good, Mitch. No nickname this time? No, 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 no. No nickname. I'm all business this time because the big dance is underway. It's hoops hysteria. And you guys at Zeke's actually have a special throughout the tournament at all locations on the app. Tell us, Dan. Yeah, we have a great special going. So the whole tournament... It's $10 off your order for all pickup and delivery orders when you order through the app. All you got to do is download the app at the App Store or Google Play, which is super easy. Do any pickup and delivery order. It's got to be over $20, and you can only use the code once a day. But the code that you use is HOOPS10. That's H-O-O-P-S-1-0. Yep. Use it as many times as you want during the tournament. $10 off your order, any pickup or delivery order. That's incredible. So at all locations, if I order through the app, during the NCAA tournament, and I use Hoops 1-0, my $40 order is 30 bucks. That's right. Wow. It's a good deal. It's a I'm using it for deal. sure a lot. <laughs> You're using it, which features the new app, and that's one of the reasons we're doing it. We love basketball, but the new Zeke's app is highly improved. Can you tell us? It's way improved, and we appreciate everybody being patient while we made this transition. But since this thing's been fully launched, the reviews on it are great, and it's never been easier or faster. It's super easy to get it on your phone, and ordering is super easy and fast. The customer experience is really good. good. We have rewards for the first time. So every time you order from Zeke's, you're moving your way towards free pizza. So best way we've ever had to order for Zeke's. So we're proudly out there getting it into everybody's hands and on their phone. And the other 
other excitement, Dan, is first ever out of state, out of the state of Washington location about to open. Yeah, we're going to open in Eagle, Idaho soon, which is a suburb of Boise. We're really excited. We have a great franchise partner down there. The community in Boise are super excited. We've been getting all kinds of write-ups down there. Nice. People know enough about Zeke's down there. They know that we're the Northwest pizza place. And so totally stoked. It's going to be really fun. First out of state, which is exciting. $10 off every order. Minimum $20. Every location, if you order through the app, all the way through the NCAA Tournament's championship game, you've got to use the code HOOPS10. Download the new and improved Zeke's Pizza app, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. I'm always a little sad when Augusta National closes up shop for another 12 months. John Rahm will spend the next year as Masters champion, actually the rest of his life. What's that famous scene like in the butler cabin after the final putt falls and the scorecards are signed? Well, our next guest on this episode 234 experienced it. He was the low amateur all the way back in 1984. Next year will celebrate his 40th anniversary. He was all chatty, sitting next to Ben Crenshaw. Nowadays available here to teach all of us to play better golf. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is. Two-time PGA Tour winner and the owner of Rick Fair Coaching, Mr. Rick Fair. How are you, sir? I'm great, man. What an introduction that was. Things are good. Which part did you like the best? The chatty part when you were sitting next to Ben Crenshaw? Is that the one you like? <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 At least I had the stash working. So, <laughs> Can you believe it's going to be 40 years next year, Rick? Yeah. It, yeah, I can. I can, Mitch. It's uh, It doesn't seem like just yesterday. And then if I happen to run across, across a video or images of those days it's like holy cow you know i is they had color back then color television yeah but it's been a while it's been a minute so to speak and fred couples is still making cuts isn't he ah he's still making cuts we're all sitting here celebrating birthdays and he's making cuts so tell us what it was like what it was like sitting in that little that little butler cabin when Ben Crenshaw got the thing. What'd you get? A silver cup of some sort? What'd you get? Yeah, absolutely. I did. I got, uh, it's, it's sitting in the house here. It's a, yeah, nice little silver cup mounted on a little wooden frame with a medallion on, on the front. And yeah, a little memento for the, for all, you know, that, that was really a, a big event in my golfing life. And I've got great memories now. I think in there was a question about being in the Butler cabin yeah, and yeah. yeah, well, <laughs> I, I've, I've cheered up a bit over the years, haven't I? Uh, um, yeah, I was very soft-spoken and pretty shy back then. And then, you know, I think my excuse was that I, you know, I was disappointed. I shot 75 the final round and kind of fell back, but, uh, got a lot more personality now. I'd like to, I like to think. Who was it, Brent Musburger? Yes, it was. It was. It yeah. was. It was Brent Musburger, and the tournament chairman was F- Horde Harden. Yeah. He actually outshone me with personality there. I think I was the first <laughs> first person he ever he ever he ever shined above. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that can be viewed on the internet, and uh, I can't get rid of it. Was Sevy there to present the uh, 
the green jacket to Ben Crenshaw as the 1983 winner? He sure was. Oh, he sure was. Been. Yeah. So, so there's some legends in that room. Yeah. With Ben and Sebi, of course. Yeah. It was, was it a big cool? deal. Yeah. It was. It was. Yeah. Yeah. It just, I don't know why it felt like a low point for, not, not low point, I should say, but just I was disappointed because, um, I think I shot 72, 71, 70, and then dropped to 75 in there on the last day. So as a 21-year-old, you know, you're not fully mature yet. So I, I don't think I had the, the benefit of perspective at the time. But, uh, yeah, I've got great memories of it. As you mentioned, you were six shots behind Tom Kite. You were three under par. You were in 11th place, a tie for 11th. You were only four behind the eventual winner, Ben Crenshaw, an amateur going into the final round. And we saw that this week with Sam Bennett. It must have been crazy for, for an amateur to be that that far up the leaderboard, no? It is for the rest of us, but I think at the time, I know uh, I did hear some of the comments Sam Bennett made after, I think, the second day or, or maybe it was the third day about feeling like he had a chance to win. And um, I think that young players who are on a roll, and he's obviously a U.S. amateur champion, that I think in the back of our minds, we feel like, hey, so you're saying there's a chance? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, meaning, you know, if you got shoot 469s, you're in a playoff uh, with, with John Rahm. And, right. and so my mind thought, well, can I shoot 69 once? It's like, sure. It's like, well, if you did that four times, you're right there. So, yeah, it seems a little bit irrational or um, unbelievable. But I think I think really good players feel like they can beat anyone at any time. So you were the low amateur that year, uh, 1984 at the Masters. You were also the low amateur at the U.S. Open that same year. All in all, you played six times in the Masters. Which was more fun, the Masters or the U.S. Open? Which was your favorite of the two? Oh, wow. Uh, didn't know that question was coming. And I, <laughs> um, it, you know, I, I like to say it, uh, I don't like to – answer every question with it depends but it's like which which year are you talking about because obviously right some years you're enjoying it and you're playing well other other years it's a grind and you're struggling but there is something special about the masters no question about it you know i was able to play fortunate to play in a lot of u.s opens and it was great to play different you know legendary courses around the country and and compete against the best but entirely different golf tournaments uh 156 players or so in the u.s open including a lot of qualifiers and then the masters is a very limited field primarily big name players so um the masters brand and the experience of watching it i think makes it super unique so probably i'd say the masters experience is probably a little bit higher on my list did you stay in the crow's nest I did. I did. Oh, tell everybody about the crow's nest. Yeah, the crow's nest is if, if somebody sees an image of the clubhouse, it's that top little little room upstairs. And it's basically a dorm style accommodations. And I, I can't remember if it can accommodate up to six six people. But um, my first year, 1983, I stayed up there with, I think, three or four other amateurs who were playing in the tournament. And uh, it was kind of fun. It was fun. It was uh you know, you wake up in the morning, you go downstairs and have breakfast in the clubhouse. You're able to experience that special week in, in a very unique way. So, um, yeah, it's very, very fortunate to do that. John Rahm is the winner. He outduels Brooks Kepka in the in the final round. I say thank goodness. I don't think I'd be able to handle a live tour player winning the Masters in the first go around. Uh, but we almost did. We had two out of the three top finishers. I won't mention. Well, I will. I'll mention the left-handed old guy that also finished in a tie for a second. What would you think of the final round? I thought it was interesting. I thought it was a little bit, for a while there, it looked like it might get really interesting that last nine. 
you know, like him or not, it was uh, when Kepka kind of went on his his struggle bus. Um, things got less interesting, interesting, so to speak. And uh, I don't know, it wasn't the most dramatic final nine holes of the masters but john rahm is is clearly making an argument that he's number one and uh he played fantastic not a lot of holes in his game rick no 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 all these guys are i think i made a comment on twitter it's like what, what's the deal the best players in the world are all hitting slices you know they're just standing up there hitting big ugly slices off the tee yeah but, um but rom i think uh my feeling is i don't think it's changed since i've been there that uh shot makers or somebody that can kind of kind of curve it a different way once in a while, whether it's to access a whole location or get it in play off the tee. I think that, that, uh, Rom is, is multidimensional when he needs to be. And I think the best of all time, Tiger Woods showed that too. And it works well at Augusta. And of course, of course your favorite guy, that guy that finished second, <laughs> that plays for live. He's been known to shape shots too. <laughs> Just ask him two of the yeah. top three were live players. And I wondered before the tournament started, whether these guys would be sharp enough playing so few events and then they only play 54-hole shotgun tournaments. Uh, were you surprised to see the top two of the top three be live players? Uh, not shocked. I mean, I think Phil being one of them was a little bit surprising because I don't follow that tour closely, so, but I, I get the sense he hasn't played any decent golf no. for quite a while. And no. I would say you know, when we could have fun with this and say, well, these guys are so eager to play play a tournament that mattered that they were geared up for it. <laughs> but uh, obviously, a healthy Kepka is is a dangerous guy to deal with, and it sounds like he's been unhealthy for quite a while. And mm-hmm. you know, and then the Masters just typically whatever the the mystery is. And I mentioned Fred Couples earlier. There's certain certain players that just you know Spieth made a run i mean these these players that doesn't seem like their game sharp starting the masters week and then they find their way to the top of the leaderboard so no it's 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 all it's all well and good those guys are great players and um you know i didn't see greg norman at the 18th green though no um, he wasn't allowed he mm-hmm. wasn't allowed to be there but but talk more about that what is it what is it about these guys this handful of guys i mean you mentioned it phil mickelson had done nothing Literally, his game was in the toilet, and he shoots 65 on Sunday to put himself in a position to win, having not played good golf in probably a year and a half. What is it about Augusta National? Are there, are there secrets that these guys know? Certainly. I think uh, there's something powerful about having a, a positive experience somewhere or, or someplace, right? I think that's just maybe us as humans, we... we getting that on that stage or in that environment. And, you know, I certainly didn't have that, that kind of record at, at places like Augusta, but you know, every time I showed up at TPC Southwind in Memphis, I felt like, <laughs> you know, I was, I was, I was, Hey, Hey, I finished second there two years in a row. So, or actually the Bob Hope desert classic, that uh-huh. was another back-to-back second place, but no, seriously, they the strategy to get around Augusta. I saw it right away. You know, when I went there my first year, I thought, but I think I'm pretty intuitive about figuring out where to hit it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I could read greens well. So I don't know how much of it is that, but um, I will say this is um, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but it's a, it's a small field of top players. And so whatever they played with 88 guys and you've got seven amateurs who most likely they're not going to win. And you right. had Larry, Larry Mize and Sandy Lyle and you go down the list. And right. when you shrink the field down to let's say 70 players that, 
that have a chance as opposed to having 150 some that had a chance um, the odds of those guys rising to the top I'm not a math major, but I think the odds improve, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's part of it, but uh, but I do think it rewards certain type of player. I think somebody that's that's a great, you know, can hit approach shots accurately and um, it has creative short game. Uh, I think you're going to see those guys at the top of the leaderboard forever. How about Fred Couples at 63 years old making the cut? It's great. I think it matters a lot to Fred. And, uh, you know, it's a big week. And obviously, he still enjoys playing. He's playing well. It's good to see him. It seems that he's healthy, right? I don't know if he still has his back issues, but he's always been gifted with length and he still has adequate length to get around that course, even though it was wet this week. And he's a special talent, special player. But I'd say, wouldn't you agree? He's also pretty creative and he's got good hands around the green. And yeah, yeah he's got good vibes in Augusta, that's for sure. By the way, you almost played with him in the final round in 1984 i don't know that you know that no yeah no, you were yeah. one yeah one shot behind him okay amateur rick fair was one shot behind fred couples going into the final round of the 1984 masters did you know fred back then and what would it have been like to be paired with two seattle guys in the final round at augusta national what would that have been like that'd have been awesome yeah i do know fred uh haven't spent any time with him for years now but we played against each other in junior golf he's a few years few years older than me but the washington state junior match play at west seattle golf course when I was 14 and he was 17, I, I made him go to the 19th hole to beat me. So uh, so we go we go way back. I was 14 years old at the time. And then when, when we were on tour together, we'd chat. And, and he he loved chatting about Seattle sports and, and that whole thing. So, right. yeah, yeah, we go way back. And, again, like if I bumped into him next week, we'd have a good conversation. He's a good guy. Rick, when you see Tiger Woods, what do you think? I think it's too bad he doesn't have that wheel working. Um, I think I think talent-wise, he could he could still get the job done, but he is. I just don't think we're ever going to see him healthy enough to to put it together for four days walking around a course. But uh, tell you what, I, I I've got a lot of respect for him. I mean, he's he he fought hard, and when he tees it up, he's given it his best every time, and he's. It sounds like he's worked his tail off just to be healthy enough to, to do what he's doing. So there's a lot of uh, folks writing about, is it time, you know, for him to hang it up? And uh, obviously that's that's his call. But um, I think a healthy Tiger Woods, I don't know if we'll ever see one again, but a healthy Tiger Woods can compete with all these guys. You think he might uh, win a couple Champions Tour events when he jumps in a cart? And plays in uh, in a little buggy, as he likes to call it. You think he can win mm -hmm. a few? Of course, of course. <laughs> I don't know if his plans are to play in those. Uh, that's always a question, right? Yeah. When a player of that stature is approaching fifty, or you know, I know the Champions Tour would love to have him out there. Obviously, he people love seeing him play, and even if it's in one of those events, um, I think it'd be good for golf. Tell me about Rick Fair. The last time we chatted, and you and I are going to do a series of uh, Play Better Golf instructional podcasts here on Mitch Unfiltered. You were out at Aldera with me, and then I look up and I get an email, and you're, you're leaving Aldera to start Rick Fair Coaching. Tell everybody what Rick Fair Coaching is all about. Yeah, I've got my own, uh, my own business, or I'm an independent contractor, and I'm teaching out at Golf Club at Newcastle now. Yeah. Uh, it, interestingly, I, that's where I started my teaching career 20 years ago. Really? So, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of it, and then it, it kind of dawned.
dawned on me that that's where it all started. And, you know, it's a great place. I'm, I'm more available, right, to more people now. I mean, Aldera is a one of a kind, you know, best best facility, best club in, in, in the Northwest. But, you know, it's out. I'd call it Fall City, but I know it's a Sammamish address and, and it's a private club. And the opportunity to work with more players is is the main reason I left. But it was great to be. I didn't see you out there very much. I think you're about a, a sunny and 75 degree kind of guy. Um yeah, we don't get many of those, but, um, but no, I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I mean, I start, started in the dead of winter, mid January up at uh, Newcastle and, and, uh, anyway, I'm happy to be there. A great place. And, and I'm working with, you know, some, some really good junior players and some of the U, UW men's and women's golfers. And, you know, so that's, you know, some of those opportunities are fun as and, well. And open and available to our audience at fair golf. Absolutely. Fairgolf.com. And, and you can find me there and learn more about what I'm doing. Wow. Yeah. What what an opportunity to be able to be taught by a guy who was chatty in the Butler's cabin with, uh, Hmm. with Ben Crenshaw in 1984, a guy who won two times on the PGA tour. I won't tell our audience how many you could have won if you had a better sudden death Extra hole hmm. record. What was your record in? Yeah, zero dash something. <laughs> zero dash four or five. I don't know. Oh. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't win those one run games quite like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what could have been, right? What could have been, but no. It's yeah. I had nine runner ups and a couple wins, and I, so I was two for four hundred. Two wins out of about four hundred tournaments. That's that's not a very good win percentage, but it was a nice career. And I'm, but I'm re- I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. And, uh. And let me tell everybody that he's a wonderful coach. He's coached me. He's coached my kid. Find him at uh, fairgolf.com. He's available to you at the golf club at Newcastle. He's Rick Fair, and he'll be available to you on our podcast this summer when we do some more instructional shows together. Maybe we'll have a guest or two from Rick Fair's past. How about that, Rick? I love it. I mean, to get a warning, there's some scary stories out there, but no, I, that, we're going to have a lot of fun and, and I, hopefully I can uh, offer some, some tips that are going to help people play good golf this summer. Beautiful. Rick yeah. Fair coaching. Uh, find him at fairgolf.com. F-E-H-R golf.com. He's Rick Fair. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for being on Mitch Unfiltered. Thanks, Mitch. Always fun. My man, Jay Flo, Jordan Flowers. He runs the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. He's a jet setter, too. Legoland with the family. A Cavaliers game in Cleveland with Cross Country Mortgage. I hope you don't forget your mediocre friends here in Seattle, Jordan. Never, never. All the jet setting, it's just puffery, Mitch. Just puffery. Oh, very good, Jordan. Very good. Danny O'Neill will be very impressed. Good time to be a buyer in the Pacific Northwest, true or false? Absolutely true. Great time to be a buyer right now. Uh, Buyers are not having to get into a lot of multiple offer situations and escalate like they were a year ago. They're coming to reasonable agreements with sellers, not having to waive all their conditions just to get considered. And they're able to get a lot of credits to help pay for closing costs or even take advantage of helping buy that rate down. And last week, I understand you locked in a buyer with an interest rate, at least at the outset in the threes. People listening to this are going to say that's not humanly possible. 
True or false, Jordan Flowers, and how? True. So as referenced in the past, we are taking advantage of these temporary buy-downs in the market. What we're doing is taking that seller credit and getting enough to offer the ability to temporarily buy down an interest rate from, say, the start rates are in the mid-sixes, upper-sixes, and get them starting at 3% the first year and elevates to 4 and then 5 and then the note rate. But within those first year or two with rates will come down, they then can refinance into that long-term secured fixed rate. All right. So what am I paying attention to if I'm a buyer or seller? What numbers as they come out over the next weeks and months? Yeah. uh, Two key markers to be watching is the CPI numbers coming out because the last year's CPI number will fall off, which it was a monster in March last year. If we get a lower reading this year, that will then be indicating inflation is coming down, which will be great for long-term mortgage-backed securities. And then keep an eye on the 10-year treasury. If we can get that 10-year treasury number down to about 3.2, 3.25, it's going to be an excellent time for anybody that has purchased in the last year to look to refinance and lower that interest rate as well. And if you're looking to refinance, if you're looking to lower that interest rate, as well as he says, you're going to call first Jordan Flowers and his team at Cross Country Mortgage phone number. 425-890-2957. Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. Great, great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Episode 234 continues with guest segment number three, which is both fun and a shameless plug, if you'll allow me. As you know, I'm very excited about our new weekly patron lineup. We already post short shows with Danny O'Neill and Matt Slickhawk Nicholas every week, but now very proud to add both the Mariners and Kraken no tables and soon play better golf with former PGA Tour winner Rick Fair which will offer golf instruction to all of you. All these shows are somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes and yours for just $5 a month. It's really good content, and I thought it'd be nice to share with you what the Seattle Kraken note table sounded like to patrons the morning after they clinched their first ever playoff spot last week. Enjoy. Unfiltered. Veneers moves in. Scores! Hey, hey! What do you say? Andy Veneers! Going wide, Everly with two. Make it three! Patrick for Jordan Everly! From the depths of the standings in year one to the base of that playoff mountain in year two, the Seattle Kraken have clinched their very first spot in the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's cracking no table time, or should we call it playoff clinching no table time? RJ Eskinos, Emerald City Hockey, Darren Brown, the sound of hockey. As most of you know by now, before we get into the playoffs, our pal and no table centerpiece Andy Ide remains in the hospital after suffering a stroke a few weeks ago. Darren. Can you give us a quick update and then we'll get to the Kraken if you don't mind? Sure. Yeah, uh, there isn't much of an update yet. He is very much um, still battling through. And uh, we keep hearing that progress is is happening little by little, but it's um, it's definitely a slow, slow, long road that he's facing. Is he out of ICU? He is. Yeah, he was temporarily back in ICU, um, okay. but uh, now he's back out. So I'm okay. um, still hoping for the best, still thinking about him. OK, in just the second year of existence. The Seattle Kraken are going to the playoffs. 
a little mini three-game win streak after the loss to the Kings. How exciting was it on Thursday night, RJ, at the arena? It was very exciting. You had this sense that everybody in the building knew exactly what was at stake. And even from the opening face off, the first scoring chance very early, the reaction to it from the crowd, uh, you knew that it just felt different than the ordinary regular season game. And of course, for them to get that done uh, and in great fashion, I mean, it, it was amazing being in the building. Darren, when you drove to the building on Thursday night and you knew that this was a possibility and you kind of closed your eyes and visualized what it would be like in Seattle, Washington, celebrating an NHL playoff hockey team. Did it match? Was it different? How would you compare and contrast? I think it exceeded it. I mean, when the team took the ice for like the introductions at the beginning, the cheer was like on a different level. Um, the fans were louder. Everybody that was there covering the game was like, hey, it's it's a clinch night. It's a clinch night, and especially knowing that they were playing against the Coyotes, who they had just beaten eight to one. Right. I think people were almost getting ahead of themselves a little bit that, you know, they just kind of expected them to win. But it was like everybody knew what was coming. It met and exceeded my expectations, certainly. So, RJ, outside shot of catching L.A. for third in the Pacific, Four points back with a game in hand, which would likely mean if they do so, Edmonton in the first round. Although by beating Vegas a couple of times at the end of the season, they could swing the divisional champ from the Knights to the Oilers. Otherwise, it would be Dallas, Colorado, or Minnesota from the other division. That brings up a couple of topics that I'd like to hear from both of you. First of all, who's your opponent? If you could hand choose, if the Kraken could hand choose their opponent based on matchups, who would it be? That's A. And B, how important are these four games left? And how do you weigh momentum going into the playoffs, winning hockey, maybe changing your seed versus resting guys and not caring so much about the outcomes of the games. We'll start with you, RJ, and Darren will graduate to you. All right, so I'll start with the second question as far as how important these final four games are. And I'd say for seeding, not very. I think the Kraken need to evaluate where their health is at, rest some guys, and maybe use that final game or two against Vegas to ramp back up. But I think seeding wise, look, there's upwards of 90% chance that they're going to finish in this first wild card seed. Catching LA is probably pretty unlikely. And even if you do, I don't think you want to. I don't think you want the Oilers as a playoff wow. opponent. Okay. Uh, you know, they're one of the teams that absolutely scares me. I don't see how the Kraken beat them in a playoff series. So I think you want to hang back in that wild card spot play the central division winner. And as far as the teams available for that, call me crazy, but I actually kind of like Colorado. I mean, yes, they're the defending champs, but I, I put a lot of stock in the season series. The Kraken have handled them well in the regular season. Yeah, it's that's funny. I, I thought Colorado up until I think in like the last week, my my mindset switched. And now I think it should be Dallas, I think, is the one that they should look at. First off, I think absolutely we want them to cross over and play the central. I don't love their matchups against Vegas. I don't love their matchup against Edmonton. Um, I think they could get past Los Angeles. It would be a really 
really tight series, but I also, it doesn't seem very likely that that matchup will happen. Um, so yeah, I think RJ's spot on there. I'd rather have them cross over and play a central division opponent. I agreed with, with Colorado up until very recently. Um, so now I think the reason I, the, they, they could beat the stars is just because they've proven that they've, they can do it. They've scored goals against the stars, um, pretty much at will. And the, one of the games that they lost, they had the lead up until like the closing minutes and, and lost it, lost it in overtime. So, um, I think they're a beatable team there. They would have a very young goalie to face there in Jake Edinger, who is very, very good and had an outstanding playoff last season. But when you compare them with like Minnesota, where um, Marc-Andre Fleury absolutely has Seattle's number. So you don't want to play Minnesota, I don't think, for for that reason, among many other reasons. But um, I think Dallas, Dallas is the team they could beat. But you guys don't worry, RJ, that if you start resting players and losing games, there's only four left. But if you lose, let's say, three of the four and now you enter the postseason, you try to rev it back up to what it was like on Thursday night when you clinched. Maybe you're facing a team that's won three or four in a row going into the playoffs. You don't worry about that in hockey. I would worry about that, let's say, in the NFL. I would worry about backing into the playoffs. Talk to us about hockey. I mean, look, there's always that concern. You know, you have to get back up to to the game level. And I think that final game against Vegas, you want to ramp back up. Okay. But this has been a crack in philosophy all season. They have chosen rest over practice or, or maybe being a little bit more prepared. And it's it's helped them, I think, overall. This is a team that probably can't afford a, an injury to another major player with Andre Burakovsky already being out. We're not sure when he's going to come back. The lines are pretty set right now. It's it's looking good how the lineup is. You don't want to risk injury to another right. one of these guys. That could throw everything off more. He just mentioned Burakovsky. I don't know much about him, Darren. Here's what I do know, that the line of McCann, Beneers, and Eberle ha- has been great on Thursday night. I think they combined for eight points. Mm-hmm. A, do we think Burakovsky's coming back for the playoffs? I heard he's skating. And B, explain to us non-hockey guys where he fits in and what kind of a boost he might provide them in the playoffs. Yeah, he's he's a huge piece of it, honestly. And he's been out now since uh, effectively the first game back after the All-Star break. He got injured right. in uh, in Long or on Long Island, I guess is how you say that. I almost said in Long Island. It's okay. Been embarrassing. It's right. No, in Seattle, it's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I think where he, first of all, where he fits in is uh, his, his spot is with Jaden Schwartz and Alex Wenberg on the other top six line, whichever one you want to call as the top line. Being that he's been out. They've tried a bunch of different players to replace him. Uh, currently, it's Morgan Geeky that's in that spot. And it's not so much that he's like this phenomenal player. Like he's a very, very good player. He's one of their best offensive players. Um, he takes some risks offensively or maybe defensively, if you will. Where he fits in and where he's so important is the trickle down effect of having him either in or not in the lineup. And I think that they get so much deeper when he's there, right? Because you have three true top six forwards uh, on those top two lines with him there. Without him there, it's like there's just a hole, right? And so getting him in, there's this trickle down effect that happens. And all of a sudden, the the whole lineup gets so much deeper, so much tougher to to stop. You know, RJ, I want to challenge you. I want to go back and challenge these last four games, especially the last two. And let me throw something at you against. They play Vegas the last two games of the season, the regular season, right? Is it my imagination or have the Kraken kind of settled into a rhythm the last, let's say, three or four weeks where they're beating the mediocre and worst teams 
And then every time they come across a team that's going to be in the postseason from the Western Conference, they lose. Like they lost to the Kings the other night in Seattle. And so my question is, if that's true, and maybe you tell me, Mitch, you're, you're crazy. Here's all the playoff teams they've beaten in the last three weeks. If what I'm saying is true, does that add some importance to the two Vegas games? That's an opportunity to beat a team that's 27 games or 20 or 30 games over 500 and racing to the postseason. Does that hold any water? You know, that, that's a good observation, Mitch. Uh, and I think there is something to that. And especially at home. The last time the Kraken have beat a playoff team at home, January 19th wow. against New Jersey. Wow. I mean, that's over 75 days ago. You have to look pretty far back uh, for an example of when they were able to get that done at Climate Pledge Arena. And so that's why I'm looking at those two Vegas games, but particularly that last one at home to show that they can beat a team of that caliber at Climate Pledge Arena. I think that's going to be a real good test for them and to see how playoff ready they are and if they do rest guys over the next couple games how they can get ramped up again for game one of the playoffs to the the point about losing to playoff teams yeah you're you're spot on there i agree with rj i i think though that if you if you look back a little bit if they do get burakovsky back right and they have their whole lineup right before that happened they've beaten everybody at some point so during the season that, that's why i think any matchup they can theoretically win especially if they cross over the central rj let's go back to the story of the kraken in its second year making the playoffs it's the biggest turnaround year one to year two in the history of the nhl are we marred by the the story, the recent story of Vegas going to the Stanley Cup final in its first year in terms of the significance of this? Again, I'm not an NHL guy, but if you told me that a Major League Baseball expansion team was going to make the playoffs in its second year, I'd call you crazy. If you told me an NFL expansion team like the Tampa Bay Bucks before you were born, we're going to make the playoffs in its second year, the Seattle Seahawks. I remember those expansion teams. They didn't win five games for like 10 years. I mean, it just it just was impossible to think that an expansion NFL team could make the playoffs in its second year. Hockey's different. The way they draft and the, the, the accommodations that these expansion teams get is different. I get that. How big of a story, or is it not a big story legitimately, that a team in its second year is going to the playoffs. I think it's a huge story, particularly where they were last season, because you have to take that into account. Yes, with the NHL's new expansion rules, you are given a better slate of players than you otherwise would have maybe 10, 20 years ago. Uh, and, and Gary Bettman was here for a Kraken game a couple weeks ago. He acknowledged that, that this is the goal is to have a team that can contend right away and can be a playoff team. Right. But still, you look at last season, they, this was still a bottom three team in the NHL. And no matter how you get there, there. To turn it around from that to a playoff team the very next season, lots of people deserve a lot of credit for that. Ron Francis, Dave Haxtell, and all the way down the list. It's still one of the best stories in hockey this year. Wow. Well, okay. I'm ready for the postseason. I got a couple of other kind of non-playoff questions for, for both of you. Let's start with you, RJ. Give an update on Shane Wright. Everybody knows about Matty Beneers. The first uh, pick a couple of years ago of the Kraken. Well, they went out and got Shane Wright last draft. He's finished his rookie season. What becomes of him next? 
Right. So this is a situation for Kraken fans to keep an eye on. So Shane Wright uh, had been sent down to junior hockey earlier this season. He was playing with the OHL's Windsor Spitfires. Now, their season just ended last night. They were the number one seed. They got swept by the eight seed. So big surprise result in the playoffs there. But that means that Shane Wright's junior season is done. If I understand the the CBA and and the NHL-CHL agreement correctly, they don't publish this publicly, by the way. So I, I can't take a look at it. But if I understand it correctly... The Kraken would have the option to send Shane Wright to the AHL, their minor league affiliate, the Coachella Valley Firebirds, for their playoff run. We'll see if they decide to do that. I think it would be good for him, but given all the different stops he's made this season, they might just be like, hey, Shane, have a good summer, prep for next season, get ready for the NHL. But we should find out in the next few days what they decide to do with him. And then Darren in Long Island Brown, I've got one last (laughs) one for you. It's an NHL-wide question. I see where the Boston Bruins are making history uh, as we record this 62, 16 and four, which is just ungodly. It's just that's OK. It's disgusting, for God's yeah. sake. <laughs> they they have become or are about to become the greatest single season NHL team of all time. They're the 2001 Mariners, the 116 game Mariners, for God's sakes. So the question that I have for you, if you watch them from afar, is. Can they become the 2001 Seattle Mariners? And can somebody take them out in the playoffs? Or is it just highly unlikely that anybody's beating the Bruins and we should just give them the Stanley Cup? I Man, anything can happen in the playoffs. If there's one thing that we've learned over, well, that I've learned over watching hockey my entire life, anything can happen in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And the team that wins that President's Trophy for having the best record rarely wins the Cup. There's something about it where it just, I don't know if it, if it doesn't, the style of play doesn't translate to the playoffs necessarily. I, I truly don't know what it is, but it's it's hard. Like, yeah, they're the odds on favorite to win just on what they've done this season. But it's it's hard to say, like, well, these guys are absolutely going to go in the cup because you just never know. Like some, you know, a goalie gets hot. Um, there's so much that can happen in the playoffs and that's going to be a gauntlet. The Eastern conference is a tough road for whoever comes out of there. There's so many good teams. There's so many good goaltenders in that uh, conference. So it's going to be a tough road for anybody to get to the cup. I think, especially in the Eastern conference, things are, are really tough. So yeah, they're having a historic season, but you just, you never know. One thing that I do think is working for them is that a lot of their core players are the same core players that were there when they won their cup so many years ago. So um, they know how to do this. Certainly. Um, it's just whether or not they keep playing at the same level they've been playing at all season. The Seattle Kraken note table on Mitch unfiltered now becomes a weekly must listen as we as we are celebrating not only a playoff team, but we're just a, a a week or two, 10 days away from the start of the NHL playoffs, the Western Conference playoffs, which will include the Kraken, the Seattle Kraken in just the second year of its existence. So we are going to track them right through to the end. Thank you to RJ Eskinos, Emerald City Hockey. Thank you, RJ. Thanks for having me on again, Mitch. And our man, Darren Brown, who's sitting in, keeping the seat warm for Andy I. Thank you, Darren. The sound of hockey. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Mitch. Hey, look who's back with us. It's Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call, in their new offices. How's everything going over there, Katie? We're all doing well, Mitch. Thanks for having me today. And I understand 
that we're going taxes on our pop quiz. That's right. So we are actually talking specifically today about the new proposed Washington state capital gains tax. Ah. In 2021, the state enacted a new tax on long-term capital gains that were effective starting 2022. Question number one for you is what percentage is that taxed? So if you have a capital gain, what percentage is it going to be taxed at from the state? Is it 3%, 5%, or 7%? It's either 5 or 7 I'll go 5%, Katie. It's actually 7%. Uh-huh. You're taxed at the federal level, either at 0%, 15%, or 20%, depending right. on your, your tax rate. But then additionally, Washington State will take another 7%. I don't like that. I don't like that news. What's question number two? The good news is that not all capital gains are subject to the 7% tax. Specifically, real estate is excluded from this. So whether it's a personal residence or an investment property, you don't have to worry about the 7% at this point from that. Additionally, it's only if you have a specific dollar amount of capital gains. So if you make below this dollar amount in capital gains for a given year, you don't have to pay the 7% tax. But if it's above this amount, you are subject to that tax. What is that amount? Is it $100,000, $250,000, or $500,000? And this is additional to the federal tax that you'll be charged on capital gains. It's either 250 or 500. I'll go the big one, 500. It's actually 250,000. So let's say you sold stock and you made $300,000 in 2022. $50,000 above the 250, that would be subject to the 7% tax. Understood. Which makes me 0 for 2. I have one last shot. Give me a true or false question, would you, Katie, please? (laughs) All right, I got you with number three here. So right now, the state Supreme Court started hearing arguments just at the end of January of 2023 to determine if this tax is constitutional. So true or false, if you had capital gains in excess of $250,000 in 2022, you will not have to pay the tax until they determine if it's constitutional. Is that true or false? Well, that makes sense. That makes sense that you shouldn't have to pay it until we find out the ruling from the court. So I'm going to say true. Please tell me it's true. Unfortunately for you and for anyone that has gains above that $250,000, it's false. The courts uh, came out in the last few months and said, if you did have these gains, you will be subject to pay by April. There's a special website that you have to go to log this information. It seems like quite the cumbersome process here, and we're still figuring out what that all means for everyone in the state. So if you have questions about it or are curious if this applies to you, please reach out to us at evergreengk.com to schedule a consultation and learn more. And of course, if it's ultimately ruled unconstitutional, Katie, you'll get that money back. That's right. Evergreengk.com. I don't want to mention that I was 0 for 3. Uh, I thought I was on a roll these last few quizzes. Don't forget Evergreen Golf Call, a terrific partner of Mitch Unfiltered.
And once again, it's great to be joined by John Waterstrat, the owner of Fireside Home Solutions. Always a great sponsor, title sponsor of our Beat the Boys competition. John, how are you? Doing great, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. Another football season is in the books, and we know football season is synonymous with fireplaces and Fireside Home Solutions. But still some cold and damp months ahead, John. Yep, there is definitely some cold, damp months ahead. And there's no better time to buy than these couple months. Uh, February seems to always have a little bit of rain and we're getting those cold weathers. Our, our lead times are down. We want you to get those products into your home and keep you nice and cozy and warm. And also we have some great discounts coming. Soup to nuts. What's the time frame now? So we're at about two weeks. Installers are getting a little bit of our lead times down. So two weeks, we can get that product right into your house and no better time than now. Allow me, John, to ask you the question I asked our other partners. How was 2022 for Fireside? The good and the challenges. What would you say? Oh, well, if I look back Back on that, you know, stock definitely being one of those big issues that we had. But again, we we are blessed with just great customers and being able to get those fireplaces in and be able to stock products that we needed to and people being patient with us and uh, really thankful to have a great year this year. So if you could snap your fingers and accomplish a few specific goals in 2023, besides your Seahawks winning the Super Bowl, what would they be for Fireside Home Solutions, John? Five star service to all our customers, but most importantly is keep our lead times down. You know, we want to be able to help as many customers as we can out there. And lead times are important, you know, to get through customers, just like if you're at any kind of restaurant or anything, you want to be able to get to those customers as soon as possible. And like I said, I think stock will be better this coming year. We want to keep our lead times down so we can accomplish a lot next year. I can genuinely say that Mitch Unfiltered would not be where we are four and a half years later without our terrific sponsor, John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions, literally the title sponsor of every audience contest that we do on the podcast. So begin your search for a new fireplace at firesidehomesolutions.com. Unfiltered. Stuff segment episode 234. Hot shot, Scott. Would you like to go? Or would you like me to go? I'll give you a sports one. You I like I like sports ones to lead off the segment. I know yes. you do. Mark yes. Cuban. You probably have this. Oh my God! It was my first one. I wonder oh, it if was. it's the same. Is it the same story? Well, him and the Dallas Mavericks are in under trouble? investigation yes. by the NBA. It was my first story. Really? On the other stuff. Yes, it was. I'm trying I to think find it's great. sports stuff. I love this the story. Go ahead, tell the story. So they're apparently they're under an investigation by the NBA for apparently tanking in one of their final games of the season. Two which, of their final games now. Yeah. Well, yeah, which means they're out of the playoffs, right? I mean, well, that's, no, that's not why they well, were tanking. Okay, go on. All right. The Dallas Mavericks made a trade, I guess, a couple of off-seasons ago, maybe it was last off-season, with the Knicks for Chris Stapp's Porzingis. Okay. And involved in the trade was the Knicks would get the Dallas Mavericks' first-round draft choice in this upcoming 2023 draft. Gotcha. But it's top 10 protected. So if it's in the top 10, if they're one of the 10 worst teams in the NBA and they draft in the top 10, that pick does not go to the Knicks. If it's 11th or higher or 11th and lower, it would go to the Knicks. So going into the last two games of the season, (laughs) the Mavericks were tied for the 10th worst record in the NBA. If they win a few games, two games left, they end up with maybe the 11th worst and they have to give the pick to the Knicks. So, oh, by the way... Uh, Luka Doncic, Kyrie Irving, yeah. Reggie Bullock, Josh Green, Tim Hardaway Jr., <laughs> and Maxi Kleber will all miss. Yeah. They all missed both 
I think that uh, Donk, Donkic may have played a couple of minutes, 13 well, I know minutes. Kyrie and Luka played oh, just over a quarter in one of the games. But yeah, they and, all then got, they all, and then they all got scratched on Sunday because they all have injuries. At the same time. Imagine they all got hurt <laughs> at the same time. That is some bad luck. Uh, but even with the backups, then, they still had a chance to close out one of the games and yeah. secure... And you can see Mark Cuban sort of smirking when, when, the, when his own team missed the game-tying shot. So that didn't help his, his no, case at he's all. He's going to get dinged. For sure, yes. He's going to get dinged by the NBA. Do you see where Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah. has a new contract and a new team, at least reportedly? The Baltimore Ravens are set to give him one year $15 million. Is it 15? Yep. 30-year-old wow. wide receiver who didn't play a lick last year. Yeah. Still coming back from an injury. I think he suffered in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think you're right. It's a one-year 15. That's a, that seems like a lot of money. Even if it's a one-year deal, that seems like a lot of money for a guy who's 30 years old coming off of a major catastrophic injury. He's one of the more freaky receivers I've ever seen play, obviously. But do you feel like he's still trading on that one-handed one catch. catch a bit? I mean, Was it left-handed on the sidelines? I think it was yeah. left-handed. Yeah. I mean, is he still trading on that a little bit? Are people still enamored? You remember how um, – oh, who was the, the Seahawk that uh, was with the Texans that we drafted? I can't remember his name now. Uh, the receiver? De- no, the defensive guy who was number one pick over. a uh, Clowney. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, how Clowney was trading yeah, on that hit. Ju- the- oh, that hit. When he jumped over everybody. Like, we can't get that out of our minds, so we keep waiting for him to do that. And I feel like he's sort of trading on this. On the one, on the one catch? $15 million for one year at 30, and you didn't play last year? That's a impressive. lot of money. Yeah, that's a lot of money. John Elway is out in Denver, did you hear? No, I didn't. His contract has expired. His years with the Broncos are over. Uh, the former Broncos general manager, John Elway, says he's putting football in this rearview mirror. He's 62 years old. He's done. I've got the restaurants, he says. I've got the car dealerships. And I've got some other businesses to keep me busy enough. What if he was executive of the year last year? Would he still hang around? No. You think he's, <laughs> You think he would have bailed or you think he would have? I think he's uh, he's done with being in the same building as Russell Wilson. You know, their their offices must have been very close yeah. to him. Yeah. I mean, do you think he was just overall, was he just kind of bad at that? Just kind John of on Elway? Yeah. Nah, he was all right. He was all right. Okay. Yeah. I think he brought Peyton Manning in. I think yeah, he gets I credit for bringing one, Peyton yeah. Manning. They went they to won a couple. A, and they went to a super they went to two. Yeah, and one and one. one. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. I felt like he was okay. just not really great at it. But I think he's moves. done. I think he's it's okay. Over. It's Much over. better player than executive, we can say, right? I want to go to the car dealership and meet John Elway. Oh, I'm sure he hangs out there all day. And and look him straight in the eye and say, 13 was better than seven. <laughs> Same draft. Yeah, that's right. Just remember John, oh horse face. Just remember, 13 was better than seven. Uh, out of that 13 draft. 13 greater than seven. I'm a, yeah, I'm a Jim Kelly guy myself. Was he 83, Jim Kelly? Oh, yeah. Oh, see, I'm a Kenny, Jim Kelly Kenny guy. Kenny O'Brien. Oh, yeah, right. And Tony Eason, right? Tony Eason. Were those five all the quarterbacks? Todd Blackledge. Blackledge, yes. Yeah, yeah, Penn State. And then the running back, Kurt Warner? Might have been in that draft. I don't remember. 83 him. for yeah. sure, yeah. yeah Hell of a draft right there. Yeah. Yes. But the kid out of Pittsburgh. <laughs> he was pretty good. He was. We, I think we all agree. Pretty he good. Could, he could play football, yeah. yes. Yeah. All right, bad news for the dude who stormed the field at Dodger Stadium to Uh-oh. propose to his girlfriend oh, last yeah. week. Yeah, got, just got wrecked. He's been hit with a one-year ban. He's not bumming out about it after all because he did avoid jail time and his girlfriend did say yes to the yes. question, but he can't go to a Dodger game for an entire year. So there you go. There's your update on him. 26 years ago, you and the music people, the, the music lovers in uh-huh. our audience, will know that Sean Pitty... Sean Diddy Combs. Yes. Pity. Yeah, Did- is it P. Diddy or Diddy? Well, it was Puff Daddy. It was Puffy. It was okay, P. Diddy. It was Diddy. Know. It was Sean Combs. Sean Diddy Combs sampled Sting's hit song, oh, yeah. Every Breath You Take, in his 1997 single, I'll Be Missing You, that he did in tribute to Notorious. Yeah, B.I.G. Right? I hate that song, but yes. You do hate that, that song? It bugs me, yeah. 
Do you know about that song? Go on. It may have been one of the most costly decisions he's ever made. That who's ever made? Sting? No, that Diddy okay. made using Sting's sample okay. in that song. Ever since that song came out in 1997, he's had to pay Sting $5,000 in royalties a day. <laughs> really? And wow. has to pay him $5,000 a day for the rest of his life. Oh, my gosh. Now, Is that worth it? <laughs> Holy crap. Can you imagine if you were a guy who were getting paid because somebody borrowed something? If you lent out your... What La do you got? Lawnmower? You got, yeah, your lawnmower. <laughs> yeah. If you lent your lawnmower out to the neighbor. <laughs> yeah. 5000 a day? 5000 a day oh. for the rest of the guy's life. Yeah. <laughs> Just buy your own, fella. That's, <laughs> that comes out to $1.825 million a year. Oh. And he gets 5000 a day. And they're still buddies. They're buddies. Diddy and Sting. Okay. I don't know. Must be kind of weird, though. I'll, I'll pick up lunch, Diddy. Cool. <laughs> $5,000 a day for the rest of his life. Unbelievable. All for sampling every breath you take. Well, I'm I glad you'd be interested in that. I'm glad Sting landed on his feet. Yep. Finally getting a couple bucks in his yep. life. Good yep. for him. Yep. All right. Bobby Knight was hospitalized. He I don't was. I saw that or not. But he was. He's out, right? Well, his son Pat says that the coach is out of the hospital and in good hands as he continues to get rest and care at home. The 82-year-old was dealing with an acute illness. We're not mm -hmm. quite sure what that was, mm -hmm. but Bobby Knight is out if people heard he was hospitalized. That's the update on him. Here's another example of somebody that you'd like to hate so you don't like to read good things about <laughs> certain people. Brad Pitt. Do any of us really want to like Brad Pitt? I think the Jennifer Aniston lovers don't care for Brad Pitt, and you might subconsciously be in that camp, and you don't know it. No, I just think he's got too much going on, too much good going on, like Tom Brady. I think there's certain guys, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, more him. Just, Something about Brad Pitt I kind of like, though. Yeah, that's the problem. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I kind of like him, and I don't want you to. Don't, oh, I see. You don't want to. I don't want to like him, but every time... He seems kind of likable. Yeah, he, he does. He doesn't bathe. No. He doesn't be. Oh, he's notorious for smelling horrible. Well, according to, do you know who Elvira is, the mistress of the dark? Duh. Cassandra Peterson. Do you know who that is? Of course. She just came out as lesbian. <laughs> what? As a matter of fact, you don't, didn't read that? What is she, 90 years old? Yeah, maybe, yeah. Okay. Well, I think she always has been, but we just found uh, out about it in the last well, year. Well, I'm so, thrilled yes. to know that. All these men that have been I'm drooling really, over I, her I, had I, no I, chance I'm, their I'm whole life. I'm relieved to know. <laughs> yeah. I'm relieved to I'd know. I love Elvira, yes. She claims... That many, many, many years ago, 30 years ago, he bought, Brad Pitt bought her house. Okay. Because he had this 1.9 acre property. He was over 30 years buying every adjacent house. Every time it would come up for sale, yeah. he would buy it. And apparently he bought a house from a an older couple after the wife had died. Okay. And as the story goes, he let the guy live in the house for the rest of his life. Really? Yeah. Rent-free, never kicked him out, Ugh. let him live there, said to him, don't worry, or had somebody say to him, don't right. worry, yeah, yeah. You, just, uh, you just take care of yourself. He figured once, once the guy dies, he'll knock the house over and sure. continue to add it to the compound. Right. The guy died at 105 years old. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, my he God. He lived to be 105. Oh. And Brad Pitt never asked him to leave. Unreal. Never charged him a dime. 
let him live there from the time that he acquired the property wow. to the day that he died. Another reason to like Brad Pitt, and I don't want reasons to like Brad yeah, Pitt. Yeah, see, I, I think he's a pretty good guy, but yeah, that's the problem. my wife hates him because of what he did to Jennifer. She's all Team Aniston. And oh, well, I'm Team Aniston. I love Jennifer Aniston, yeah. but, you know, sometimes... Things don't work out. Wow, what a cool story. I'm sure he wasn't expecting 105, yeah. but, you know, I mean, geez, okay, how about 90? Look at his He was watch. in his early 90s. Oh, that's a done deal. I mean, Pitt five years at to, best. Yeah, he's in his early 90s when he acquired the property. And the over-under is 96 and a half. He lived to be 105. <laughs> Couldn't get the guy out of there. When you don't have any stress about bills, hell, you live forever. You got nothing on your mind. You got your mortgage handled. Who gives Brad a shit? Brad Pitt owns your house? Of course, it's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, you look out the window and see who he's bringing home. The, the, the sink ain't working. Brad's under there with his tools and his butt hanging. <laughs> out fixing it. he's the goddamn landlord i mean he better fix it wonder who brad went out with for dinner tonight let's see who oh, is he bringing man. home tonight that's a cool story oh. good for brad all right the good folks over at pornhub tell tmz that donald trump's arrest has yes. been a boom for stormy daniels adult videos oh. i have never seen a right. stormy daniels adult video you can play dumb all day no but no no i want to well, you're welcome to. They're, it's free on the internet. Okay. With searches for her videos spiking while Trump was getting booked, users searched Stormy more than 650,000 times most, Tuesday. Yeah. 650,000. It's a staggering figure on its own, but when it's compared to her daily average search over the first three months of the year, it works out to a whopping 32,400% increase. Has she gotten rich off of all of this? Well... That's a good question. It's not clear Thank you. I, how I, that... That's a good question. You do sometimes. Yeah. I've heard this... Uh, uh, it's not clear how much she actually gets paid if uh, her videos go up. Oh. So I, I, no one seems to know. Oh, I don't. You would think, right? I mean, she's drawing a bunch of traffic to them. I don't know. Who knows how? Who knows how that? Got to be the most famous works. adult actress of all time, right? Who would have? Who would be more famous? Well, just name wise, Ron yeah. Jeremy's probably okay. Number okay. one, yeah. but she's yeah climbing. If this continues, I mean, yeah, sure. That's wow. a name that everyone seems to know. Okay. Linda Lovelace is probably up there if you okay. really want to know. But, okay. I really um, do want to know. <laughs> sounds like you I do. Really do. <laughs> All right. If I say hello, Deli, do you know what I'm talking about? Hello, Deli. Hello, Deli. Is that a Seinfeld thing? No, no. Hello, Deli is Letterman. Letterman. Yeah, with the little dude that worked there. Rupert. Rupert. Yeah, he was Rupert awesome. Rupert G. Rupert G. The beloved West 53rd Street sandwich shop. Hello, Deli. Yeah. Is say goodbye. Oh, really? Closing its doors after 31 years Made famous by The Late Show with David Letterman. It's been a heck of an adventure, says Rupert G. Still there. Who appeared on the show more than 400 times. I believe it. Fun with Rupert. I told writers the very first time, please don't come in here. I'm deathly afraid of being on television. He looked like it. <laughs> they are closing the doors oh, at the Hello Deli. Some of the funniest on West TV 53rd. of all time. Because they would give Rupert an earpiece and they would make him a waiter at a restaurant. And then he would come out with like his thumb in the water and set it down. And people yeah. were just the worst, bringing it's out over. the worst in people. Time to retire for Rupert. Wow. And then you don't know Go this. Go to the rocking chair. But Letterman built him a house on his property. He lets him stay there for free. I don't That's know if you know that true. or not. Yeah, no, he's going to move in Stop as soon that. as it's over. Cut you, it you've probably never heard of Freak Nick, have you? Freak Nick. Freak Nick. Nick. No. N-I-K. No. I would have been blown away if you had, but um, I only know about it because one of my best friends went to school down there, but it's this legendary street festival that used to overtake Atlanta during spring break, okay? Okay. I mean, think Fort Lauderdale or Daytona in like 1985. Yeah. Complete chaos, right? Yeah. It eventually went away in the late 90s. However, 
Hulu is releasing a documentary about the festival that includes a bunch of old VHS footage of people <laughs> acting the fool in their youth. And this has a whole lot of 40-somethings feeling a little nervous, which makes me laugh. Who needs their teenagers seeing mom twerking on the herd of a car in a thong in 1993, <laughs> right? I mean, holy shit. It's oh, called The Wildest Party Never oh Told, God. which is aiming to expose all of it. Because, you know, when we were, you know, in 1992, yeah. we never thought things were being filmed. I mean, no. if you saw a camera, you'd probably run up to it like a dipshit because it was cool to be on TV <laughs> or whatever, you know. So you, our, our mindset wasn't that. But lots of people had video cameras and they're, they're cobbling together this documentary from all this footage. I can't. God. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be some, <laughs> some real ugliness when, when their teens are seeing mom and dad uh, acting stupid. I can't wait on Hulu. Sports arrest blotter. We seem to get there every show. Episode 234 will be no different. Former NBA guard Ben Gordon again. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like he's in the we need to help him camp. Like there's yeah. something going on. It, this is his third arrest. He had two in 2022, I think, and then one or, arrested on weapons and threatening charges yeah. after he began behaving erratically in a Connecticut in a Connecticut juice shop. This is his third arrest since October the 10th. Yeah, the episode started just before 10 a.m. this past Tuesday when several 911 callers reported a male acting aggressively in a bizarre manner inside of a juice shop in Stamford, Connecticut. The man identified as Gordon continued to act erratically when officers arrived and tried to take him into custody. And TMZ has the video if you want to see it. Yeah, I think he's in that Antonio Brown, Yeezy kind of like, we there just be an intervention here. We got to figure this out. This is just weird, erratic behavior that... I think he he could use some help. So the Cincinnati he gets it. the Cincinnati police was quick to charge Bengals star running back Joe Mixon mm-hmm. after a now Joe Mixon's had his share of problems. Remember the video of him in school, yep, hauling off and hitting the girl in the face. Oh sure, um, he had a rage raid. Sorry, a road rage incident involving an unnamed woman back on January the twenty first. On his way to a playoff game. Oh, my gosh. The police, however, almost as quickly dropped those charges while continuing the investigation. Now, this past Friday, the police announced that Mixon is being recharged with aggravated menacing for pointing a gun at the woman during the incident. He was on his way to the stadium where the Bengals were getting ready to play the Buffalo Bills in the AFC playoffs on January 21st when this happened. The cops looking at each other. Bob, we got a playoff game. Let's uh, let this one go. Get him to the stadium, and then we'll charge him later because we're out of the playoffs. I mean, on his way to the unbelievable. game, he's got a gun in, yeah. a, in a stranger's face in a road rage incident can't on con- his way to the game. You can't control yourself on the way to a playoff game. You can't control yourself, then I don't know when you can control yourself. I mean, that's scary that, that he yeah. acted like that. Yeah. All right, you want an update on the giant red spoon that was stolen from an Arizona Dairy Queen? Sure. And sparked a mystery on social media? Yeah, you told us about that. It was found. It was. And it's partly thanks to Pokemon Go. Michael Foster, 52. That's right, I said 52. (laughs) Was playing the outdoor mobile game when he spotted the 15-foot spoon, which was lying on the ground behind a fence. That's still a thing, Pokemon Go? He was looking for a goddamn squirrel, and he found the spoon. My kids were doing that five years Uh, ago. Well, now you got 52-year-olds living at home still doing it. Yeah, not good. Anyway, detectives are continuing to search for the suspects who took the spoon, and police are encouraging the public to submit any tips. I have one RIP, and then your headlines. Do you have any RIPs? I have three. Go ahead. You may not know of all of them. Go ahead. Judy Farrell, best known for playing Nurse Abel in 
the hit TV show MASH has passed okay. away. People love yeah. that show. Yeah. She made several guest appearances in TV shows such as Get Smart, Partridge Family. Oh, I love Quincy. Get Smart. Yeah. She also had roles in films. She was 84 years old. Okay. Wrestling legend Bushwhacker Butch. Now, you, you didn't watch wrestling. No. But wrestling Dusty fans. Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> you know Dusty Rhodes, and that's about it. Wrestling fans remember the Bushwhackers so much no. that he made the WWE Hall of Fame in 2015 as a member of the Bushwhackers. So he was 78 years old. Rest in peace to Butch. And then Michael Lerner, famous for roles in Elf, Barton Fink, Godzilla, and tons of shows and movies. Now, he was probably the most, he was most remembered for his role in the Will Ferrell comedy Elf. You probably don't know from that movie. I but know he, of the movie, yes. He played James Caan's hard-ass boss, Fulton, who was demanding a grade-A children's book. Oh, shit. Of course, he's had way more credits than... The list of TV shows this guy's were on. The Brady Bunch, Good Guys, Ironside, Man. If you saw his face, you would recognize him. So rest in peace to Michael Lerner, 71 years old. And one death from the world of sports, Billy Hahn, who was a longtime assistant for Gary Williams at the University of Maryland. Okay. Had a heart attack this past week. He was ah. 69 years old. He played his college basketball at Maryland. Hmm. He was an assistant at Maryland. He also had two head coaching stints. At Ohio University, 1986-89, and LaSalle, 2001 to 2004. Just kind of a college basketball lifer and a really intense guy. I knew him a little bit. Oh, you a did? Well, a tiny bit. Yeah. A very intense guy. Billy Hahn, rest in peace at the age of 69, which brings us to headlines, please. A Serbian woman who admitted to placing a cork in her private area during a, a sex game had it removed three and a half years later. What? Clearly not what her husband had in mind when he asked her for a corkscrew. Analysis of human oh, hair found in a Mediterranean cave turned up psychoactive plant substances, revealing the use of hallucinogens around 3,000 years ago. Woo. That was a hell of a party, said Keith Richards. A Louisiana woman recaptured the Guinness World Record when her Afro hairstyle measured at over five feet in circumference. Mm. She now has her sights set on a similar record, only this time it's downstairs. And finally, 18-year-old girl in India had to undergo emergency surgery after swallowing her cell phone during a fight with her brother. She tried to poop it out, but her colon was out of storage. Happy Easter, everybody. <laughs> yes. And here I thought they'd be better with everybody out of the house. Ladies and gentlemen, episode 234 of Mitch Unfiltered is proudly in the books.